Hello, everyone, and welcome back once again to the TetraCast. This is RPG Site's weekly podcast where we get the site staff together to talk about our favorite genre of video games. My name is Brian Vitali. With me today, I have Josh Torres. It's June. We're here. Finally here. Adam Vitali. I like June. June's a good month. James Galizio. I'm finally a registered Final Fantasy XIV homeowner. And Chowman Wu. Still homeless. <laughs> in case you weren't aware, it is June now. This is our first recording of the year in June, because we've recorded in June in the past of previous years. And suddenly, as we kind of were hoping and inspecting, there is all of a sudden a lot to talk about. We had like three independent, maybe more than three independent events that had a, a bunch of interesting news to come out of it that we are obviously here to discuss as we look at future games coming out this year and next year. Obviously, the biggest of which I won't bury the lead is finally some new trailers and new footage and new information about the upcoming Final Fantasy 16, but also some stuff as well with Pokemon Scarlet and Violet. We had a Warhammer event. We've got some uh, news about from the saga event that Adam, I know, is interested in talking about, and a couple other things that also just trickled through uh, the week. So we'll, we will have a kind of a news-focused episode here, and I think that's fine, because as we've talked about, we're kind of at a, a little bit of a lull before we look into the late June and mid-July releases of Sunbreak, Xenoblade, uh, Live Alive, and a few other things. So this will be a news-focused episode as we go through our impressions of our, our impressions and reactions of all the things that uh, that filtered out through the week. But we will still talk a little bit about some of the games we've been playing. I've mainly been playing Chrono Cross. I finally made time for it. I won't spend a lot of time on it here, mainly because we've talked about it last week as Adam has gone through it. But just that's I want to obviously get through that so we can have a, a variety of impressions on it as we get into the end of the year stuff. Talk about whether it will deserve our remaster of the year award. I know that Adam has also been working through like some some backlog of his. Uh, but we're going to start out with something that Josh has been playing, which I don't know anything about this game. You've written here on our little outline that you've been playing a game called Loopers. You need to you need to start me at ground zero. I do not know yeah. what Loopers is. I don't have a picture in my mind. I can Google it while you talk about it. But just walk us through what is Loopers, uh, What? why are you playing it, and how are you enjoying it so far? Yeah, Loopers is a new visual novel that came out. Uh, it's Western release came, uh, came out on the Switch uh, this week. It was like out on PC in Japan, like I think sometime earlier this year or last year. I don't remember its original release date over there, but it's Western release came out on Switch. I know they're planning on a Steam release sometime in the future, but not nothing concrete yet on like when that's gonna manifest. They say they're looking into that. This is uh from uh, the creator of Higurashi, Umineko uh, Ryukishi. Uh, and this is a, a collaboration project with uh, Studio Key, and Key is like a well, well-known visual novel creator from stuff like Clanad or uh, Canon, um, Angel Beats, and so on and so on. Um, they're they're very well known. So this is a an interesting project to me because you know I like both of those uh, creators, you know, uh, and I'm always looking forward to seeing like you know what their what story they have to tell. So, uh, Loopers is an interesting one. It's it's a very it's it's not as like grand scoped as like how key visual novels are because key visual novels are usually they usually run over like twenty to thirty hours, sometimes even more uh, on them. Uh, and then for Ryukishi's side, like he like Higurashi is usually done episodically. This is like a one full release, but it's a it's a it's a it's a more like indie scope project. I would say it uh, like maybe our average read through is maybe about like five to seven hours like i barely got done reading it this morning and like i, I only maybe uh since i read fast i usually it lasted about maybe over five hours for me um but it's a it's a really like interesting concept for time travel as you can tell from the 
uh, name loopers. Yeah, you know, it does have some time looping associated with it. Uh, you know, b- both of these, uh, you know, studios have dabbled with time travel in some uh, form or fashion, uh, you know, in their past works. Um, in Loopers, it's it's kind of a... You start out with these two, like, characters, like Hero and Heroine. You, you meet Tyler and you meet Hilda. Um Tyler's really into treasure hunting in real life, geo hunting, you know, and all that ty- type of stuff. Where you know he'll go go on an app on his phone, and then there's like a whole treasure hunter network where like you know people like kind of hide stuff in the world for other people to find, and when people find it, they you know uh, kind of uh, uh, put in another treasure and then design another treasure hunt for it. So he's like, that's his hobby. That's what he likes to do. And uh, when you meet Hilda um she's you know your average like schoolgirl who likes hanging out with her uh best friend leona uh in this um somewhere along the way uh early on in the story um the things start getting weird uh the the current date this um story starts is like at august 1st and there are some weird things that uh start to happen like you know uh Tyler, Hilda, and, Le- uh, and Leona kind of meet up with each other. Uh, Leona's uh, uh, Hilda's best friend, and you know, like it's been like they've known each other since uh, elementary school. So they're this kind of like, oh, you know, we they saw each other again. So like, Tyler's kind of like introducing them to like, hey, you know, this is what I'm into now. I'm like into treasure hunting. Um, but along the way, like things start start getting weird because Hilda, there's there's like all like things that happen like within the first like hour of the game so it's not like big spoilers or anything um where uh hilda spots like kind of like this ghost girl or not really sure what it's all about but then you know things so some severe things happen after that that i won't spoil but um very quickly tyler and hilda uh like you know go into the next day and they, and they start figuring out like oh for why is why is it still August first? I'm pretty sure I I remember hanging out with you and we did this and that was August first. So what's going on? And what makes this a really like interesting time travel story uh, compared to other past time travel stories is that H- Tyler and Hilda are not the only ones who are experiencing this time travel phenomenon. For them, this is like the first time that it's happened to them. Uh, but as you quickly uh, learn uh, early on, you'll meet other people who have been stuck in this August first time loop. For yeah, some I was going to ask: Is this like an endless years. eight type scenario, or but it seems like multiple people I'm retain their day. memories? Yeah, so so there are multiple people like who are stuck in this time loop, but all of them have started this time loop at different times. So there are people that you meet that have been stuck at this time loop for maybe ten years maybe 20 years and it really like to to Tyler and Hilda this is very new but kind of exciting because like uh, you start learning like the rules of this time loop where like everything is sort of reset in the state that you were left off on when you entered the time loop so let's say you had like uh $2000 on you at hand uh, you can spend as much money as you want out of that two thousand dollars freely in that time loop because once it resets, you'll have that two thousand dollars back. Uh, that's like you know, what, like one of the rules about it. Uh, other rules are like if you like get injured or even if you get killed, you know, within the day, you'll still be reset to uh, still being alive and 
left off of where you were when you entered that time loop. So like you can like take on like you know many risks, like say like climbing a really high like you know cable tower or something like it, or, or like just doing more daring stunts that you wouldn't because now that you don't have the fear of death, you know, um, you like you're willing to do, do more risks uh, along the, those lines. So it's a really interesting tale of like exploring the the phenomenon of like what if you don't have to worry about like those types of like like financial restrictions of long term like uh planning out like how are you going to take care of yourself how do you stay healthy cuz you know you're stuck in a loop and the very next day you're just going to be reset to like whatever you had uh on you this is the, the the and the only thing that really carries with you is your memories uh alongside that so you know it's it's dealing it's exploring what you would do in that time frame um what how ha- what how do you like look uh what do you think of life when you're like you've already feel like you've explored like all there is to do so for some of these people that have like gone through like a decade or so or multiple decades uh in this time loop like to them they've already explored all they wanted to do you know so where do you go from there what kind of happens to you when you start losing like the will to live to go on uh and all that sort of stuff so it's a really fascinating angle of time travel i can, I can uh, sort of see like the horror there's... element there like it's mm-hmm. like an internal prison especially you, you mm-hmm. can't even very very grim like death isn't even a way out <laughs> they're just literally yeah. stuck in like a purgatory loop yeah and like, like like for some people like like you meet, you meet a uh, character named joe and he's like kind of a, a bodybuilder type guy who likes you know working out at the gym and and you know since the at the start of the loop when you're like reset to your current state he can't even have like the the satisfaction of like building up his muscles because any like development he does uh on the, on that day it'll just get reset the next day so like he's not really you know moving forward with like you know like trying to improve himself day by Where day is this game just... set i just sort of internally assumed it was like tokyo but like with names like joe hilda and tyler like oh so like it, sure. so this this one of the weird things like it is i, I this is set in japan Okay. Uh, I don't, the names uh, aren't really what I expected. So but. the the weird thing about this is like that's like their nicknames, but like their real names oh, okay. are like are, are like say for example like t- Tyler, but his real name is like Tyra, you know, or for Hilda, like her her nickname is Hilda, but her real name is like Hiruda. So like they use the romanizations as like nicknames. Like oh. I I I've actually seen like the original script. I've only read the English uh, once. I don't know exactly how that is handled in the original scripts uh for the game but i i thought that was also weird as well where like where they're using like kind of like romanized uh western forms of their uh name given names as like their nicknames um mm-hmm. and i don't know if that's one of those like lost in translation type of things like it's hard to you know uh get this point across not severely like you know changing the meaning or whatnot so i that that's one of the things that stood out to me i was like i don't know but the actual like you know, visual novels are there's a there's a good way to do them and there's a bad way to do them. Uh, oddly enough, and that and all that that all depends on like how you navigate and like how easy it is to read. Uh, this game is really really good with like uh, features as a visual novel. It's like a one touch like quick save. Um, there's multiple fonts to choose from. You can choose like uh, how uh, obviously like this has been a standard for the visual novels for many years now. But you know, text speed and having it be instant. Uh, window transparency even like changing like the border of the window to like a different color um and then setting the voice uh, voice level for like every single like 
person in the game so like you know if someone sounds too loud you don't have to like put down everyone's audio level you can put down that certain person's audio level down be more normalized uh compared to the rest of the cast so it's like it's your standard like visual novel features but like there's still like a few visual novels here and there that like you know don't have like the full package of like intuitiveness to maneuver around and like how and it's pretty cool how this game like animates like like say like even just like loading up a save like it'll just like when you load up a save through like a window like it'll just pop it on the screen like seamlessly instead of like having to like do a load or something uh to get to that point which is uh it just it doesn't ever take you out of that um but you know i uh, it's hard to talk about this game without like spoiling it outright because it's very easy to do that well without um, a spoiler like how does yeah. it incorporate this time loop versus this the uh the theme of like this treasure hunting sort of aspect to this one character so it, it is it, like it is a, kin- a kinetic visual novel meaning that like there's no choices there's no branching paths it's just basically you start the story you read it and then it ends at a certain point and like you never made any choices along the way so there's not like any gameplay elements to it it is strictly just like uh, a novel to read um so like everything that's like incorporated with like the treasure hunting and um how the story unfolds like like the like the treasure hunting aspect of it it is pretty important to the plot i can't say how because that'll spoil it but it is pretty integral of the, into the way that like how it presents uh its role uh, for the other characters in the in the story uh let's say so it all i can say is it's important but there's not like any gameplay elements to it um i'm not i'm not gonna say that like it's like the best visual novel ever or anything like that like it's it's a but i think it's a pretty solid visual novel for 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 something for like people who want like want to read like just for a few hours like a simple short story like it's it's like 25 dollars on the eShop, which is you know it's up to you whether the value is good or not uh for like you know 25 dollars like a five to seven hour uh kinetic visual novels for you know i can imagine for some people that's kind of a deal breaker but you know for people who are willing to like are open and um open-minded to the concept and are willing to spend that amount um you know go for it it's 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 a it's a visual novel i don't have like any have major complaints about overall but like it's not like super super like it's like it doesn't put like the medium like to the next level or something it's like it's solid it's good it's like i, I enjoyed it and um if you're in, if you're interested in like in, in time travel stories then like definitely pick it up it's uh it's a uh, it's a good read uh would it you is- prefer having branching paths for this game or just um with, with, the, with the way it, it crafts its story no I, i'm fine with it not having like branching paths or like or gameplay elements or like like uh, or like choosing between like romantic partners uh or whatnot or like having like character routes like i don't think this type of game or this type of like visual novel and story like it, it, it kind of lose a lot of its meaning uh to you know what, what it's trying to tell it, it's it's not it's not like one of those like visual novels that's like eerie about like how characters view each other it's actually pretty mature in that aspect especially because you know even though some of them look like you know high schoolers some of them you know are obviously much older than that because of the time loop aspect to it of like they've been long they've lived longer than their appearance lets on that is kind of an interesting twist to it like what your mental age is it seems like the switch has become kind of a decent little console for visual novel ports so I don't know if it feels like it's picked up momentum as someone who only hears from these like through people like you, Josh, who has kind of goes through them and kind of keeps me in the know a little bit about what's coming out. 
I don't know. It just seems like it's been a really convenient console for experiencing these, which a lot of times have been previously kind of sequestered away on PC, which might not be the most proper format for these, which is where this game originally released last year in Japan. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm glad, glad like, you know, it was it came over here in an official form because I've had my eye on it, but I'm like, I was just kind of waiting to it. And like, I'm glad that it, it turned out pretty well. Like I enjoyed my time with it and they were all pretty cool by the end of the day. I was like, yeah, there's a really good ensemble that they have here. Well, thank you, Josh, for giving uh, your impressions on Looper, a game that otherwise I would not hear about. So it's cool to kind of see uh, your perspective on games like that, that otherwise would have not been like within my purview. As we we're talking about games to discuss ahead of our news laden cast today, uh, James was pretty eager to talk about, as you as he introduced himself with today's podcast, about how he is now a homeowner, at least in Final Fantasy fourteen. And I actually asked him outright, how much is there to that? Because I really don't know. Obviously, we had kind of the kerfuffle a few months back about some of the issues with the home raffle process. So, James, go ahead and tell us like what actually happened with getting your house in Final Fantasy fourteen and what that all involves and why you were so eager to talk about it. So first off, I do want to say that um, I'm not going to talk about all of my issues with the the state of housing in fourteen because I am writing up something about it. Uh, long story short, uh, the current system is undoubtedly better than it was before. Uh, and I guess I can kind of talk about that with uh, patch six point one they made the change that instead of uh, housing being a first-come, first-serve type deal, uh, now it's based off of a lottery system. And any houses that are, uh, or any plots that are available for purchase will only go up for purchase with a lottery during a bidding window um, that's basically on a rolling release where it's like constantly switching between Here's when you can bid for houses. Here's when you can claim houses if you won or get your money back if you lost the lot. So on paper, it's a lot better because before uh, as kind of like a misguided attempt to prevent people from botting to get houses as soon as they hit the market. Uh, they had it so it was first come first serve and they did not list when they would be available. You'd see the placard and it would just say if you tried to purchase it, not available for purchase yet. So the idea was at least, oh, well, if we let people know a date, people will just have a bot that instantly clicks as soon as it goes up for sale. But you probably already can see the issue here where it's like if you don't know when it's going to go live, the only people that would actually be able to just constantly stand there clicking that placard would be bots. Unless you literally were spending like hours upon hours on end just standing in front of this lot, clicking this placard over and over. Uh, either either a bot list. or some sort of like keyboard macro that just keeps checking it or something. And of course, that meant that if you wanted to get a house, you could not uh, engage with other content while while you weren't sure when the house is going to be available. Because you can see the placard, you can see the land, but you don't know when it's going to be available. So just got to keep going and going and going until you either you have get a dedicated or... machine just to bot it up uh, just outside of your main PC easy, easily the easiest way. Yeah. But anyways, the new system is a lot better in the sense that it's now a lottery system. Unfortunately, they did mess some things up and uh, I will be going over that in the article. I think the main thing that I can point to is that when they added in the new housing wards with uh, 6.1, um, they made a change to the way that, um, in addition to the lottery system, which I think everyone or almost everyone agrees is a good change. 
they also made it so that specific wards would be only eligible for bidding for either free companies or personal housing. Uh, they totally misread like how many people wanted personal housing and how many people wanted free company housing. And while I can understand the idea of, well, you want to make sure that every free company that wants a, a free company estate can get one. If you just look at least on Leviathan, which is one of the larger North American servers, if you just look on uh, Leviathan's uh, Imperium words, so the newest housing district, and you look at all the uh, districts that are specifically or words are specifically for free companies, most of them are nowhere close to being populated. Yet you look at the personal words and there is almost nobody left. Like there, everything is completely filled with like one or two exceptions. And the only reason those exceptions exist is if somebody, because people migrated from another ward, maybe they upgraded to a medium. They like put their themselves, their, themselves down for a lottery for a medium in a different housing area. Maybe they won it. Now they suddenly, there's like one out of like 60 plots in this one district available um, and that's it. And uh, this is a problem throughout all the housing districts, through all the wards. Uh, there's also the problem where be if people migrated from one of the older districts to Ishgard and they were in a grandfathered zone, so like a zone that's now free companies only, but they were a personal, if they moved, instead of there being... 1440 uh, new um, personal, well, the number of new houses that were added overall was 1440. But instead of there being, let's say, I think it's 360 personal houses added. If somebody migrated from a ward that's now a free company house, that's one less like personal house that's actively available for players that want to get a personal house. It's is a free really company house, is free company house basically like a guild hall sort of thing? Yes. Yes. All right. And and that's the only option that free companies have for like an instance place to call their own. Mm -hmm. And basically you're saying despite that, more way more people are wanting the personal houses and they did not recognize that. Yeah, yeah. Like the so tell us, is not even close. So tell us about I guess your house. Uh like once you have a house, I assume that you can use you can like decorate it or things like that. I don't know if you can put like armor sets or weapon sets up that you've gathered or like I'm not exactly sure. Like once you have a house, what are the capabilities that are unlocked to you that that people that makes that makes them so desirable and has this lottery system in place for? Okay, so first off, and this is one thing that people are a bit contentious about, houses are in districts. So you'll have neighbors and you'll actually be able, if they're there, you'll be able to see them like in their yard or walking around doing stuff. And uh, you can also see how people have decorated their houses. Um, if they're available for people to go inside and check, you can see how their interiors look, that sort of thing. Um, you, there is a gardening feature in 14 that's really in depth. But the only way you can engage with it is if you have a house, because you can't do it in apartments. And you need to basically put up a gardening plot in your front yard before you can engage with it. And there's like some things that you can only really get through engaging with gardening, like chocobo onions. You can get a few if you do specific side quest chains. But 
if you want to fully max out your chocobo, you either have to pay for a chocobo onion or grow some yourself. And those can be really expensive. So that's so it can also be a money source and income for mm -hmm. for you if you manage your garden. Yeah, and specifically for free companies, not for anyone that's in a personal house. You can also, if you have a free company housing, you can set up uh, um, vehicles for expeditions like submarines and stuff to get materials, which can also eventually be used for crafting stuff for like the estate and also for free company buffs, which will apply for everyone in a free company for a, a specified period of time, stuff like that. Um the main reason I feel like people, well, the main reason probably why people want these is it's a bit of a status symbol uh, and also because you can decorate them, obviously. And one of the things I am going on, um, kind of uh, touching on in that article I'm writing about is uh, for a lot of people that have so much time in 14, it just makes sense that for what's a virtual home for them, that they want to have like something to kind of signify that. And especially with the way that the, uh, housing system works having an actual like tangible impact on the game as a whole that you can point to and say look that is my space in this game like specifically mine there's something cool about that um now is is there an economy built around like purchasing decorations or carpets or wallpaper furniture or like is that like a whole like just list of items that people can craft and sell and buy yes yes so there's basically a whole economy around creating and using decorations which is really cool yeah i remember when uh the ishgard housing first came out uh there you can get chocobo stables from the housing vendor for like 250k gold or gil um and uh people didn't know that so i was like selling them for like double the price on the market board and people were buying them which is hmm. kind of funny but uh yeah um i've had a good time with the house uh <laughs> I guess one thing that's kind of a knock on like effects of uh, houses being so hard to get, because let me put it this way, like there was a um, let's see if I can find this uh, infographic people put to uh, put together for. Um... Ah, here we go. There was a infographic that somebody put together for a start for one specific server. Uh, Sargon Tanis, I think that's how you pronounce it. And they basically went over how many people participated in the second round of the lottery. So no new actual houses, but just like kind of the knock on the trickle down effects of it all. Uh, there was only 94 plots total available for people to bid on per for personal houses. One out of eight active players placed bids, which was over 2,119. The average chance to win was only 4.4%, and over 24 billion gil was committed to the bids. And uh, the average bidders for a small was just shy of 20. The average bidders for a medium was just shy of 40. And the average bidders for a large was over 75. So if you wanted to get anything more in this, well, if you wanted to get anything, it was going to be really difficult but especially if you're going for one of the larger plots it was like saying well all of them were single digit percentage like chances of getting a house but it, it just got worse and worse the uh larger the house was and what you were going for and whatnot how uh, does the guild play in then uh honestly 
Not very much. It's just like because you the way the lottery system works is you have to put down the full price of the house and you get it back if you lose the bid. But you basically have to say, here, I have all the money you would need to purchase it. And I am putting this into the lottery. So the 24 billion gill is just like the amount of gill that was dedicated for that lottery overall. So it's not really a bid in terms of like an auction or anything like that. It's literally just like a ticket. Yeah. Okay. And who sets the price of the house? Um, It's uh, determined by the size of the plot and um, its location. Gotcha. Yeah, I, so I, I, I don't like, know if like the price went up, if more people bid on it or anything like that. Yeah, no. But uh, yeah, it's definitely not ideal, especially since there's plenty plenty of housing still available in the uh, free company sections of these um, housing districts. They really need to rebalance it. A lot of people will say, well, maybe there shouldn't be player housing at all since like the main um, the main parties that benefit from this are free companies since they get, get like gameplay like improvements in regards to like if you're a free company you want to be able to get those buffs you want to be able to send out those expeditions and all that which sure but the problem is is that on the flip side why isn't that just available for single players why isn't why isn't gardening more widely available why can't you just do that in an apartment you can get an apartment if you just want to have a house well if you want to have something that's not a specifically a house or if you can't get one why do you specifically need a house in order to do gardening, which is a relatively in-depth like aspect of this game? And not to mention that's like with how like difficult it is to get a house, it's kind of glaring that housing is like the one system in 14 that forces you to stay subbed. Because if you do not visit your house every 45 days, it will automatically de get demolished as as long as automatic demol um, demolishing is enabled. Uh, another problem with housing for the last like two years uh, is that be between COVID and the launch issues with Endwalker and now the housing problems with the lottery, it's just, it's been a complete clusterfuck. I think there's only been like two or three months throughout the entire like last two years where autom automatic demolishing has actually been enabled. Or something like that. So, but normally, if if you want to own a house, if you want to keep your house, especially since it's super difficult to get one, even now, like I mean, the easiest time to get one in the last like several years was when Ishgard's housing became available, and like I was incredibly lucky getting mine because the number of people that bid on mine was like eighteen, and it's like that's a really low chance. Not it does it, it does really seem lucky. kind of that it stinks that the uh that you had these gameplay systems that are tied behind chance. Yeah. Like if you wanted to have like a, a max chocobo, it's like, well, gotta roll my four percent dice at getting a house if I want like I don't care about the house, but well, I care about buy, a chocobo or whatever. Well, you can oh, I guess buy you could buy it. That's true. on the uh, market board, but it's like if you wanted to go through the process of like making them yourself, you you have to like win the dice roll. And then there's like the whole thing with again, like it's just a mess. People also say, oh, well, they should just make houses instanced. The problem is twofold. One, now anyone that purchased a house specifically because of the neighborhood aspect would very rightfully be pissed if they changed the system to be instanced. 
And the dev team would never do that change, would never go through with that change because they have been very explicit about if somebody like if they purchased something or they did something that wasn't against the rules at the time, even if the rules get changed, they will get grandfathered in. And there are many, many players across every server in the game that specifically wanted a house for neighborhoods. And that change just would be even more of a clusterfuck than how housing has been over the last like month and a half. And then even more importantly, and this is something I kind of go into in my article I'm writing on, writing on it is that instanced housing wouldn't in, wouldn't be the band-aid solution well the magical solution everyone thinks it would be because one anytime somebody goes to an fc house or anyone anytime anyone goes into their own personal house that's still a server being spun up or an instance being spun up that is uh, utilizing resources but even when people aren't going to be in a house the data for the house's configuration is still going to have to be stored somewhere. <laughs> so maybe there will be less of a strain on the servers if it's instanced, but there's no way to tell if it's actually going to be a significant improvement. And combined with everything else I've said, I just don't see it being a feasible, like actual like solution to the problem. It feels like an unsolvable problem at this point, and yeah, like, it's just one of, the, one, of the, one of those things that like people will just have to kind of live with it and like just nod to it and like just acknowledge that like this is just the way things are because like yeah. it, it feels like any any type of like route you go to to try to find a solution, there's always there's like there's like this big roadblock of like well it can't be done essentially and like and, and I think I think it just it just like the, the whole thing that stinks to me about it as an outsider is like. You're, it feels like if you're getting a house, like you're, you're chained by it. You're committed to this FF14 sub, or else, like if you, if you leave it alone for too long, like all the all the all the commitment that you uh, did to get that house is just gonna disappear because, like, say that like you got bored of the game and want to unsub, you know? Or maybe you're like hit on rough times and you can't afford to yeah. sub a month. It's like that, yeah, people shouldn't That's be punished like, for that. Yeah, and it, also it, like I mean I've seen I sometimes see in other online games where it's like I haven't played in two years. It would suck to like it. It almost becomes like this permanent like divorce where it's like, well, I I would still play Final Fantasy fourteen, but I had a house and then I didn't play for four months and I was thinking of coming back, but man, I miss my house. It just seems kind of unfair. Yeah. Now to be fair. I do think the current situation will be improved a bunch with uh, the changes that are happening later this year with regards to they're adding additional like North American data center. They're adding more servers overall for like um, Japan and whatnot. Like, so as soon as they add more servers, like each of those servers are going to add a significant number of new houses to the overall game. But the problem is, is that how many people that actually have a house are going to make the move? Yeah, and, I, th- I, 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 I don't like, think. Yeah, I don't think opening up new servers is like, uh, like it'll be a temporary solution to like to to ease it. But I, th- I think the overlooming problem is like that that feels permanent. Yeah, because it's gonna it's gonna be first come first served at the end of the day when it comes to that stuff. Now, I guess as like a as like a final thought, I was just wondering, like, what's the first thing that you want to hide your house? Like, what what are you using it for first off? 
third thing because like i said it's the only way to do it <laughs> so that's that's i mean that's your immediate focus is to get into gardening mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do, do you have like uh are you planning on doing it for the chocobo yourself or to try to see if you can make some money off it a little or bit just of kind of a, a little bit of column b yeah i was gonna say like or maybe just enjoying the system for what it is all right well i guess good luck with your new place uh i guess let us if you notice any weird stories with your neighbors or getting your if you upgrade to a larger plot or how you decide to decorate it, how it gets interfaced uh, in the future or if it, if the solution ends up being found or if more troubles arise, I'm sure you'll keep us uh, informed about all the goings on there. When's the next major update for the game? Because I know we talked about uh, Newfound Adventure about a month ago, but I don't really know like what the status of Final Fantasy 14 is right now. Uh, there is an update uh, next week uh, for 6.15, which will be adding in a few uh, side quests. Uh, nothing super major, but yeah, that's coming. All right. Another game that kind of came out this week in some format is I've seen a lot, unlike Looper, which Josh talked about earlier, I've seen a fair bit of chatter about this one. And that's because I think it's a series that some of us kind of grew up with and we haven't seen in a while. And that's the newest entry in Mario Strikers with Mario Strikers Battle League. Uh, we had an open beta that's made the game available to play. And I have heard some mixed things about people's impressions with this game and with the beta so far and it sounds like josh has gone hands-on with it so i don't know i guess i don't want to color the conversation <laughs> maybe i'm t- too late for that but josh you, you put some time into mario strikers battle league uh yeah i guess it, without, without it, any preamble what's your thoughts there's like a weird like of a beta because it's like it's like it's multiplayer focused but you can do like the tutorials to get yourself acclimated with like the controls and then do some training stuff and but like the meat of it like the multiplayer sessions only happened uh, during one hour periods at like three times a day. So like the first period was like last night from 8 to 9 p.m. Pacific time. Um, and then like there was another period uh, like 4 to 5 a.m. Pacific. I only did the 8 to 9 Pacific. Uh, as of the time of this recorded right this very moment on uh, on Saturday. Uh, You're playing right now. 56 a.m. No, the, there's, like, there's going to be a, 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 a session about to open up in four minutes as of the time of this recording. That, that I know I'll, I'll I'll wait to play with friends later tonight on it, but it's kind of like a weird time limited type deal just for this weekend too. Um, so uh, I don't remember much about like the all the systems that's like was like in the first Mario Strikers. I think that was on the GameCube. I want to say that's the one I played. Uh, yeah, I, I want to say that was like the first one, right? Um, so uh, like I'm not exactly sure like what's what what what's like kind of legacy, what's new. But it's a it's a pre- pretty in depth game as you're going through the tutorials. You know, you have your stand you, like just for the demo alone. Like it, it's like two v two, but like each of the two players uh, controls up to two people. Like uh, or they choose two characters, and then both of those players like cycle between those four uh, as you're playing them. Uh, and I think I think this game in its final release, I think they said it'll support up to five v five. And like, and I think you can have like up to like parties of five. I think uh, I don't remember to uh, what they advertised for it. But like, I- I'm already thinking like it already with two players playing two people. Like it already feels like chaotic. It's like very fast paced, uh, and and so forth. I'm just like, man, can you imagine what five v five with like five players on each team are like? Like that's crazy. So you know, the, you're going to the tutorials. You learn about obviously shooting, passing, but passing lobs. Uh, and then, you know, your, your uh, defensive options between tackling, charge tackling, uh, 
opponents, then you'll start getting into like stuff like um, power shots, where like you can do like powered up like passes and shots if you let go of the button um, right before they like it it approaches a, a teammate. So, for example, if I would do like a power shot uh, with someone and an incoming pass, like I have Mario and I press B to uh, do a pass, and now. As I press B and the ball is traveling towards like Peach and she wants to make make a shot, you can do like a powered up shot where you start queuing up a shot through A and then as the ball's about to approach Peach, you let go of A to uh and then if you do it at the proper time where you let go of A, she'll do like a like a snap power shot towards the goalie. The goalie is like all AI controlled too. No one has actually played goalie. Um from the demo, I don't know if that's going to be like in the full game or not. If they'll allow the goalie to be controllable, um, so it's it's very very um, a, a lot of systems going on in it. Uh, obviously, you have, like you have dashing and you have like dodging, dodge rolling, and those take up a stamina meter. Um, a, as the matches are going, there'll be like uh, Mario Kart sort of item boxes out in the field where you can like pick them up. And then you can store up to two items, and then you can fire them off when you, when you have them, like green shells, uh, red shells, um, bombs, uh, banana peels, and, uh, and all the good stuff. And uh, it's 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 a lot of fun. It's very fast paced. I can see like you know why uh, you were saying it's like a, the reception's a bit divisive. You know, I've already spoken to some people who says, "Oh, it feels way too fast paced." Like you know, I can barely keep up what's going on. Some some people are like, I don't even want to touch online right now because I feel so inadequate <laughs> going through the tutorials. <laughs> like, um, the main thing that I've heard is that in, it seems way more multiplayer focused. Yeah, the original game had one v one and two v two, but now it just seems yeah. like I don't know. The original game mode. also had. If I, I hope my nostalgia is not playing tricks on me, but I think it also mm-hmm. had like a very a pretty darn thorough like one player campaign tournament mode sort of thing, uh, which yeah, ended up actually that. being quite difficult. Mm-hmm. I don't know exactly what the what the final games like single player offerings and full modes will look like. Uh, like I have done very little like research on this game like up until the open beta uh, because I'm just like I don't know because once uh, several of my friends and I found out I'll be like oh you can play with friends like you know we're like okay we should go try it out and see how it is. What we thought was like we're gonna be like up to like five people parties to like queue up with each other in the open beta, but that's not the case. You can only queue up with one other friend. So like the most you can play with is like two v two, where you and your friend control two characters each on a team. Obviously, like in the original um, Mario Strikers, you know every um, character has like their own preset stats. You know you have like Mario, Luigi, Toad, Daisy, or not Daisy, uh, Peach, Rosalina, uh, Wario, Waluigi, Donkey Kong, and Yoshi. Um, and uh, and they all have like you know, their own set of stats, like their strength, their stamina, speed. But then there, the, something that's like kind of locked in the demo, you can't really engage with, is like you can de- equip gear as well, and like the gear will like alter their stats. It's an RPG. Uh, that's it. And and like apparently, I don't know exactly how the gear will manifest. Like I don't think it's like additive. I from what I heard, it's like when you equip gear, and like you'll you'll get plus two to like a certain stat, but like minus two to another. So maybe it's like gears, maybe more of a trade off situation instead of like. You know, how, instead of like buffing up like your character consistently to be like God or something, so maybe maybe gear is more of like a way to tweak characters, but having some trade offs with them. Um, but you, you can't really engage with that in open beta, so it's hard to see um, how that will manifest in the in the full game. 
Um, there's also like a, a mechanic where you see in like the uh, uh, trailer for the game, like when they first showed it off. There's like this like ink style to the game where like there'll be like some parts of like the game where like uh, a character will do like a super animation. It's like all very heavily outlined and very stylish. And well, like, yeah, like, like the that, cover art. Yeah, and like how that is in the game is where at certain points there'll be like an orb that like descends onto the field, and like who like whoever gets the orb, it'll like light up your character your, the full team who got it and if they try to do a, a, a successful charged power up shot at the enemy side of the field for like you know try to make a shot in while they have that orb and like and like kind of light it up it'll go into like this like weird mini game where like there's like a pip traveling at the bottom of your character like sort of like a meter it's sort of like uh, golf where you have to like line it up to like the a certain like highlighted region correctly and then on the way back, hi- highlight another region cor- correctly. So let's say there's like an orange zone and a blue zone. Um, if you want like a guaranteed like goal, you have to line it up uh, at blue at both sides when the pip is going traveling back and forth. And then if you line it up on blue, um, there's no way that the ed- opponents can like stop that uh, shot. So uh, a successful shot in that mode will get you an automatic two points. Um, if you do not line up correctly on the on the two blues, then any error that you make uh, makes it so that you're less likely to make that shot. Um, so that that's how, how that mechanic works. And you know, and just multiplayer, just even the two v two of this open beta that I played, um, it's a lot of fun, but it's very very frantic, and you have to be very quick on your feet and like and thinking and like thinking about like who's making the shots, who's passing, because there are some characters that are really good at passing. Like Rosalina, and there are some uh, characters that are very good at like uh, tackling other characters, like Wario and Donkey Kong. Where like, and and, and like how's its stats come into play is like, say, um, Toad is trying to like uh, steal the ball from like someone like Wario. Toad can't do that like at a normal tackle. Toad has to like a perfect charge tackle to get them because uh, obviously they're like Toad is not like built. Uh, uh, you know, to successfully do that, just like on a like, just normally uh, taking it away. It from sounds you. so silly, but I pulled up the uh, the Mario Strikers Battle League wiki page. Toad has nine strength. Wario has seventeen strength. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> and but like Wario is really good at like like harassing like goalies, like like, like you know uh, where they, the Wario can get up close and like no one can really contend with like him having the ball unless they do a charge tackle. So like Wario can make plays where like he'll do a shot and then like it'll bounce maybe it'll bounce off someone or the goalie and then like uh continue to do it again and again until like until you get possession back. So yeah, but uh but obviously like the the but Wario's like average speed is way slower than like most other people's as a trade off. So Wario isn't good at like traveling the field uh on that. So you know War- I, Wario has nine speed. Uh right. Toad has seventeen toad. speed. Mm-hmm. So you have, to, you have to make go go for it. I was like, is Toad the fastest? But no, Peach also has 17 speed. This is an RPG, yeah, guys. Uh, yeah, to- Toad and Peach are like, yeah, the fastest. Like, but, but like Rosalina is like is really good at like really fucked up things. She's really good at passing, and she's really good at like having the ball travel in weird trajectories on like longer shots. So like like uh, Rosalina isn't like doesn't travel that fast, but she has like weird shit going on with her <laughs> on on the how, how the way she shoots and the way she passes. So you know you have it's to kind of it's interesting that you got a you have a Rosalina, but there is no Daisy. I'm like huh? 
Yeah. So maybe, I don't know if she's going to be in the final roster or not. I don't know if there's all the characters yet. But yeah, so like you have to make those considerations when you're like your team building with your partner, um, you know, as you're taking two online. Obviously, you can play this game uh, by yourself as well. Uh, I, I, I assume so in the final game. I don't know if it is how, if that's how it is in the open beta. I've only played with a friend, I haven't done solo queue or anything. But um, yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's very frantic. It's you have to make a lot of like snap decisions. Uh, the ball will go back and forth uh, between like you try to like pass it really fast and them intercepting. Um, it's 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 ton of fun. I I really like the core gameplay loop. I know a lot of people are very uh, we don't know about it yet, but it's already clicking with me and, and so, some friends. But the the net play is very hit and miss. Like the net code isn't that great. Like so, sometimes it'll feel like. Uh, I'm like dialing in my mic buttons, and then like the and then those actions will only come out like three to five seconds later, which is way too late. Um, and obviously, that probably um, it depends on like the connection quality of like everyone in the match. So I assume a lot of people are playing this on Wi-Fi or not or not great connections, and you know that that kind of makes it trickier to do like some of the stuff that's like more um, timing uh, focused, like say like a perfect dodge. Or um, doing a per- or doing perfect power shots or power passes, and even doing like that uh, little mini game with the orb. Like sometimes you know the the input lag uh, can get in the way of that. So you know it's uh, one of those things like you, you just kind of have to roll with it. Um, you you kind of know what you're expecting at this point because you know the 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 netcode for this game can't really. I don't know. I I wish it was better, but I don't know how you'd make it better with some because because at some point it it's gonna be about. The connection quality of the other players too, mm-hmm. but, but it's a lot of fun. I don't know if I'm gonna pick up the full game yet. I, I'm gonna play tonight again with some other friends and see how we feel about it. But like we like, uh, but we're generally like on the same page of like we like the core gameplay, but the netcode is hit and miss. But it's a lot does of it fun. Have, does I it know. have any local options? I think it does have uh, local play. I don't know if it has LAN support. That'd be really cool if it does. But I don't know if it uh, supports that. But other than that, you know, it's uh. To me, this is like I, I like it a lot. I really like the frantic uh, uh, pace of it. I it, it feels like because yeah, you know, like Nintendo has been coming out with like you know Mario Tennis, Mario Golf, and now you know uh, Mario Strikers. And like I like Mario Tennis, but I just I but it had such a short lifespan for me because like they remember in the the recent Mario Tennis game they had they were trying teasing like you know. This will have like a robust like single player mode, and it's like, and then the single player mode didn't really do much at the end. And then Mario Golf, I didn't pick that up because I was like, oh, like I, I thought I was gonna pick up Mario Golf, and then once the reports started coming, I was like, oh, the RPG mode in this is like half baked. It's not near nowhere near like the Game Boy Advance, you know. Uh, I remember Golf when Ale- Alex like, go ahead, James. We just need to accept that we're never gonna get a Mario um, sports game as based as advanced tour ever again i know i know i, I really had my hopes up for the la- for the mario golf and then it's like oh they're bringing back rpg mode stuff it's like no it's not really that it's like oh so i i was i was dead set on getting mario golf until i heard that like it just was half baked in that aspect and i'm like never mind i'm i feel dis- you've disappointed me and then and then you know it feels like and then from my from my point of view like a lot of like the the talk about that game has died down considerably uh, since its release. Like it, it feels like it didn't have the staying power as you know maybe a lot of people wanted it to. 
So I don't know exactly how that sh- shook out. So with, with Mario Strikers here, like, I don't know exactly how, what, like, the longevity of this game is. It seems to have, like, a lot of, like, robust features, like, on, in the terms of, like, you can, like, start, like, your own club with up to 20 people, and, like, there will be seasons, like, that last for, like, one week, like, one week rotations where, like, it's one week on season, one week off season, and, like, depending on how well you do, you can, like, earn up, like, like new jerseys and new, like, cosmetics for your, like, your club. For some reason, uh, I like the idea of, like, 20-man raid static. Nah, this is my football team. Yeah, exactly. I, that that reminds me the your t- the tutorial uh, uh, NPC that's giving you it is like it's called it's called Footbot, F U T Bot. Mm-hmm. Very good. So, um, yeah, but that's what I have to say about Mario Strikers. I, I I enjoy it, but I don't know exactly what the longevity of it is. Before we go into the news uh, of the week, of which there's plenty, uh, we do have a couple features uh, up on the website in addition to the big news features. One of which is I finally wrote up my thoughts on Elex 2. I won't uh, go into too, too much detail here because I've spoken about it in the past. Uh, so the review's up on the site. And my main takeaway is, is that I thought Elex 1 was an average game with a lot of potential. And I thought a potential sequel to it could have really knocked it out of the park. And I don't think it was even as good as the first game in general. It's it has some of the same strengths, but I think uh, there's there's really no reason to play Elex two if you haven't played Elex one. And then if you played Elex one and you and you aren't really invested in the world or characters or anything about it, then there's really not a whole lot of reason to play Elex two. So uh, I got my more fuller thoughts up on the site. Go ahead and give that a read if you're inclined. Another feature that went up on the site this week is that James was able to give. Uh, some sort of impressions on the upcoming Monster Hunter Rise Sunbreak. James obviously has a lot of hours and times and hands-on time with the whole series and with Monster Hunter Rise in general, both for the Switch and PC versions. James, maybe I'll just let you speak very briefly about uh, your impressions piece. I do know that, it, uh, and you're very clear about this, that it was a hands-off impressions piece, which always kind of becomes difficult to write. Uh, but just go ahead and give us like what your time of uh, putting this together was like. Yeah, so uh, usually if we're going to be doing a preview, and just to be clear, uh, this is not a preview. I very specifically used impressions because I did not actually play it myself. Um, normally, I would not write up impressions about something that I haven't played. This is a very specific circumstance, though, in the sense that I have put literally thousands of hours into the series. I've put hundreds of hours into Rise. It's one of those very, very few instances where just seeing gameplay and having the context of what I've played previously in the same game, it's like, okay, I feel like I can feel comfortable enough writing about what I've seen and like have some takeaways. This is very much the exception. Just want to make that clear. Um, So they gave us access to uh, 30 to 40 minutes of footage between two hunts. Um, Josh actually watched a bit of it with me um, the other day in the staff chat. So if if you want to pipe in about what you saw, feel free to. Um, Basically just a bunch of stuff that's being added to Sunbreak uh, showcased the new uh, golden ruby wirebug stuff very quickly. They showcased some of the new uh, monsters. One of the things I mentioned in the post is that I expected uh, Lunagaron to be more like a Dogaron or Zenogre, but then when it gets enraged, it's like, oh, this is more like Gosrag. This is really weird, but in a cool way and stuff like that. So I'm um, very excited to see more. But uh, 
if you want to hear what I have, well, see what I have to say about what we were shown, at least um, the pre the impressions pieces up on the site. And um, yeah. Yeah. I, I like the, the, the new zone that they, that they showed in the videos. It seems pretty uh, going to be a fun time to explore um, that like mo- a little bit more hands on previews came out on the Japanese side. Uh, yeah, for the sunbreak. Yeah, apparently in Japan and in Europe, there was actually like hands-on events. It was very specifically like North America that was hands-off only, which is understandable. It it is unfortunate because it would have been nice to actually feel a little bit more confident in what I'm writing just because like, again, I I, I am confident enough in what what I have to say. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, It's just just like a logistic, we understand the logistical nightmare that happens behind the scenes for some of these companies. And, you know, uh, it's it's not a big deal. Like, this is coming out very soon at the end of the month. Like, there's not something that's super far off. Yeah. Yeah, And not to mention, it's like, it's not like what I saw is uh, like completely obviously cherry-picked or anything. Yeah, Yeah. It's not a new game. It's an expansion for a game I have already put hundreds of hours into so yeah but, uh, but, yeah yeah but people people who like you know like people like who played monster hunter know what to expect from expansions and you know sunbreak is very much along those lines where like you know see more new locales new monsters uh and uh very like seeing like how old monsters translated like the newer games so like you know there was a bit of footage where you saw sergios and like, and that that was a looked like a really really like fun hunt in a sunbreak. Uh, way more like a, a lot more aggressive than you uh, you might be expecting from past games. Um, and it's a, it looks like it's gonna be a blast. Like I'm really interested to see like some of the other uh, things that uh, Capcom has said about the game. Like they they've mentioned like you know you haven't seen all the new attacks yet. Uh, they they've shared like a little bit in the videos, but they the, the those uh, aren't the entire picture. We're not. Uh, there are some like a few balance changes like here and there like that that was uh, sort of observed and noticed by like people who uh, saw hands-on footage. It's like it's gonna be really really interesting to see like how they di- if the dynamics of like the certain weapon dichotomy in Rise changes because right now there are definitely like uh, key winners uh, like Longsword for example that uh, still like, look like they uh, were bumped down a little bit but still still look look very powerful and like. And we're all still crossing our fingers that you know Lance will somehow pull off a miracle at this point and uh, get where it needs to be. So we have both the Elex review and the Sunbreak impressions up on the site. And then if you were to go to the site right now, there is a lot of features about a lot of news that came out of the last week's Thursday's PlayStation State of Play about Final Fantasy 16. We kind of knew this was coming because there was. Uh, updates on the social about the trailer having been finalized and how they were up to just about to present it. It's the right time frame for it. So this was kind of not really a surprise. And we got the new trailer for Final Fantasy 16. We got some details on the staff behind it. Uh, we even got some people to be able to freelance articles for the site that really dug into uh, the, the combat stylings that we saw in the trailer, try to kind of speculate what we might be able to see in the game. Uh, we, there's been some speculation about whether the game even has a party. More on that later. Uh, so let's just start off Start off with the basics. This new Final Fantasy 16 trailer introduced some new characters, kind of went more in detail about the premise of the game. A lot of focus on the 
the summons of the game, the icons, uh, and how they interface with the story and the different factions, the different players that play. We haven't heard from Adam in a while, so I'm going to go ahead and like loop him in. Just Adam, just to kind of give us a, just a starting point to launch off on our discussion here of what we saw for Final Fantasy 16. Uh, I guess before I do that, it is launching summer 2023 for PlayStation 5 with no other details about any other releases at this moment. So Adam, what, what are your just off-the-cuff impressions about what you saw from the Final Fantasy 16 trailer we saw last week? I did not watch the trailer. <laughs> Riff, nice. <laughs> uh, that's really I, good. Job. One job. That's really good, actually. I definitely watched I like the trailer, it. but my impression of the game is... How do I say it? I, I have a really weird take of it. It reminds me of those Ultraman games that you play in, in the Super Nintendo, where you're having like a duel one-on-one with a giant monster, if you get what I'm saying. Yeah, no, yeah. I, no, I get what you're saying. Um, I'll be honest, the gameplay footage, I think, was more interesting than the first trailer. I, I don't know what... like the. I'm sure part of it's like the way it was edited. The It just doesn't... like stand out to me as much as the first one where it was like way more of a focus on the like actual combat now like all we're seeing most of what we're seeing is these little like cutaways where it's like okay how how are these like engagements between the uh two uh summons happen is it just yeah i I, is it um, yeah, I get where you're coming from because because a lot of like the cut-ins for like battle footage in this uh in this trailer is like already in the middle of combat, like during like a move, like like while in the first trailer, like there was like more of like a ramp of like okay, this is like how the start of like encounters are initiated and like the general flow of combat, like when like these special moves aren't being pulled off like at every second. Uh, trailer has so like it was a, it was a, it was very the trailer itself is like interesting, but you have to like kind of get through like kind of the messiness of it all because like it's it's a lot of like it's basically visuals and ui puking at you at like every corner and every time that like, you see battle footage like it's like an interesting player that catch, catches the eye but at the same time just like this is so much info to like kind of cram into just a few seconds without uh really any breathing room like my impression is that I, it's kind of like a Lightning's Returns merge with a fighting game and maybe like an Ultraman game back from from the 90s or something. <laughs> throw, throw those three in as one. I mean, you get the Final Fantasy XIV limit bar on the top, and then you have different kits based on probably the Econs you're using, maybe. That's that's kind of like what I'm getting. And the whole yeah. game is like a duel. You know, it's like, it's just, you know, the life bar just shows you that, you know, it's like a one-on-one fighting each other, right? Yeah, like the very first, like, scene, like, in the trailer of, like, the battle system, like, it like it really does look like, uh, like, two opposing, like, fighting game bars, like, facing off against each other. And then, like, you have, like, these dynamic cut uh, camera angles, like, in the middle of the fight of, like, I assume that it'll uh, initiate, like, very certain thresholds. Like, say... Um, you know, like even in Stranger of Paradise, when you reach like those boss thresholds, it'll do like a like a certain like dynamic camera cut of like of a of a next phase go, uh, you know, being entered. It it, it had that sort sort of effect uh, on it. But uh, you know, it's it's so far off that it's like I don't know if I care at the like uh, too much at this point of like what the trailer did and didn't do well uh, because it's just like. To me, it's like it's still in development that what we're seeing probably isn't like final footage. You know, this is like there's all if anything, we're seeing a glimpse of like the concepts at play of like what how this game will generally look uh, when we're playing it. And what what we have right now is like, man, that is a lot of like things on the screen. And like, you know, we're, we're not we're no strangers to this. Like, you know, Xenoblade infamously is the same way of like there's just like a lot of fucking shit 
on the screen for you to manage. So like this one has like your 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 action abilities at like the bottom right corner, your consumables at like the the bottom left. You have your HP and like your limit break and your icon things on the on like the top left, and then you have like these kind of like DMC esque like things that like when you're doing a combo it's like kind of like you're stylish super sick stylish except this is like oh you use an ability you use a chain to whatever and like as you're you know beating up foes and it's just like yeah i guess sure like this is an action rpg for sure it is it, it with everything that an action rpg entails it is it is interesting to see in motion. It is very fast-paced. It is also messy because it is an action RPG. <laughs> Can you guys get any latch on? So a good chunk of this trailer is showing these one-on-one -on -one clashes between the icons. And it suggests, like, with the way the UI is framed, how it shows, like, this almost cinematic type attack that looks like a cutscene, but then there's, like, damage floaters as if it's gameplay. But I'm like, how do you control this? Like, how does how does the player interface with this part of the game with the with the combat that shows clive it's a little bit more like you can get a latch yeah. on it but with the with the yeah. with the summons i'm just like okay i see uh you know phoenix fighting afrit and doing like an attack and getting a but uh, how do you actually like engage with this it's a bit like it's it makes for a great trailer it's, but i don't know i'm just now i'm thinking like how do you play this part i'm not sure i i don't know like like i, I don't know exactly if these like they, there's there's a very very real chance that maybe these like one-on-one -on -one, uh, encounters of the icons are maybe like turn-based where like and when you use like an ability from the icon it'll go into like super crazy cutscene of them using that move and then, and then the icon reacting like but it's hard to tell like because they they, they refuse to show exactly how you control these icon versus icon encounters for all we for, for all we know we, we don't know if it's actually action or turn based during those parts of the game while with clive it's very very obvious that like it is single player uh clive seems to be the only party member we don't know if there's gonna be a party system uh it's it very does much say like there in, wasn't in but, the combat know. like that where it shows this is, this is maybe me like pulling at strings first of all i don't really care if there's other playable party members or not uh but in the uh in the combat, it has in the UI, like in the upper left, where it shows like his health and whatever the yellow meters are. It says like Clive, like it, like well, if there's yeah. if it, why would it specify who you're controlling if there's not other pos like maybe you only control one at a time in different parts of the game? But like, hmm, it's clearly called out that you're playing as Clive here. So why would it do that if he was the only controllable party member? And yeah, talk but, about but, yeah, maybe maybe like maybe you have the right the uh, like you're right uh, like on the right wavelength where like. Maybe you only control one character at a time, but like it'll switch perspectives. Maybe of like, mm -hmm. okay, you control Clive this part, and then you control whoever at this part. Maybe it'll do that. For all we know, but it 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 doesn't look like. But we don't know exactly because this is not coming out till next summer. But it's looking like you're only be, be controlling one person at a time and not fighting with like you know other people that you could control. Um, but we don't know for sure. So we had before this trailer three main characters that we were introduced to along with like speculation on some of the others uh clive the younger brother joshua who is the dominant of phoenix uh and jill jill has a very small part in this trailer but doesn't seem to get a lot of focus we do get a big introduction to hugo who is revealed as the dominant of titan and a name to a previously shown character uh bendicta who is a dominant of garuda so we have uh, actually up another article on the site, basically kind of 
collating and synthesizing all the information that we have for these characters. Uh, you know, what what sides are on, what roles they play. Uh, Bendita is like a spy and a tactician. Hugo is this. Is, I thought this was kind of interesting. Hugo is listed as like an economic advisor. But he was like also a soldier who kind of rose through the ranks as he became revealed as the dominant of Titan. So just just kind of getting some more of uh, the cast uh, fleshed out. I don't know if he got a name for him, but we saw like the leader of the Empire kind of showing his almost like carelessness towards like the losses in the, in the war uh, being shown and how he does. He thinks that including human lives, it can all be rebuilt or uh, regained and he doesn't he's not basically afraid of the conflict that's being shown and then of course there's the trailer kind of ends basically with kind of a cast runoff of all the different um all the different summons have been shown so far you've got uh shiva you've got odin you've got bahamut you've got uh of course the, the, the couple that i mentioned like titan and garuda ifrit obviously is we there is a lot of speculation about ifrit's role we kind of know that uh an encounter with ifrit kind of somehow kicks off the story it, it, uh, it, in the pre-time skipped era and has some sort of clash with Phoenix that affects Clive and Joshua and their uh, and kind of like their standing in the world, but we don't know exactly the details. I guess it's hi- highly speculated that Clive I really like is... The, uh, I, I, like, you mentioned a free, like, uh, like, I really like the moment in the trailer where it's like go, going down all the icons being shown in like the the orchestra uh going ifrit but ifrit mm-hmm. is shown like i thought i was like okay that's that's pretty funny <laughs> yeah i i liked how the how the music uh kind of aligned with that part of the trailer kind of just going through mm-hmm. like the icon cast but you know, we we saw like a good glimpse of like you know kind of the the more mature uh, storytelling and like uh they you know that the ff16 team is like going for like you no know, it's a very it looks to be more of a classic final fantasy in terms of like a world like uh, kind of like uh, there's no like FF12 for example, sort of along, along those lines. But then like you see like scenes like oh man, maybe Clive will like get on on some action like you, like <laughs> like there's like this moment in the trailer where like you saw like like uh, like Clive and like uh, like another lady's like bare bare naked backs. It's like all right, they sitting a lot. Okay, she's sleeping with the Garuda dominant. Okay. Uh, the, was that the Garuda dominant? All right. It, well. I mean, I mean, Jill is not blonde, is she? I mean, I don't know. It could be another blonde in the in the game. I have no idea. Uh, well, they haven't sister. Spo- <laughs> I have not spoiled the uh, the Shiva dominance. So, yeah, Shiva, That's... Odin, Bahamut, those dominants we don't know. Ifrit, people speculate could become Clive or is Clive. It's not certain. Uh, so yeah, uh, my, that's good. Go ahead, my speculation is there's two icons of fire in their kingdom from what the trailer shows me, and and that's both Joshua and Clyde, and they probably end up killing each other or something. That's probably what I'm getting. From the trailers, we also got to remember that uh, the premise, as uh, as was shown in the original announcement, is that Clive was expected to be the dominant of the Phoenix, but it passed him and went to Joshua instead. Why is that? It seems to be kind of central to the premise of the game. So yeah, kind of shaping up, and it's in the you know it's in the damn logo of the game between Phoenix and Ifrit. So clearly going to be kind of something that's kind of kicks off the, uh, the. There's obviously the warring conflict, which is kind of like the. The larger scale one, but then uh, you know, mirrored by the personal conflict or the more individual one between Clive and Joshua, even though it might be an unwanted one. And speaking about what kind of latch on to what Josh said about just how like what other Final Fantasy games this game is kind of evocative of, uh, that kind of leads right into the conversation about the key development staff behind Final Fantasy 16. So a lot of these names we knew, especially that the producers, uh, Yoshi P, Naoki Yoshida. We talked about previously how we had a really good feature up on the site about the director of the game, Hiroshi Takai. 
We also learned a little bit more details about who is helming some of the other aspects of the project, uh, such as Kazutoyo Mahiro is the creative director who has worked on games like Vagrant Story and Final Fantasy Tactics. So maybe you might see that that infects kind of what you see here in the story in the story in the trailer. A localization director is Koji Fox, also of like Final Fantasy XIV fame. Uh, art director Hiroshi Minagawa, who also worked on Final Fantasy Tactics and Final Fantasy XII. So you can kind of see like, yeah, I can see that. I can see kind of like where these vibes are coming from. And then here's kind of the big one. Uh, the combat director, Ryoto Suzuki, who originally came over from Capcom in 2019 to be the combat director of what eventually became known as Final Fantasy 16. And he uh, Suzuki has worked on uh, both Devil May Cry and Dragon's Dogma. He was even a programmer on Monster Hunter. So we have a very kind of an outside uh, talent who is helming the combat directing of a Final Fantasy game, which might be why that part is the part that's so kind of unique and bespoke to this game that doesn't seem like it borrows from any other in any other system in the series. What else do we have here? The composer we knew was Masayoshi Soken, and a lot of people kind of called that out from the first trailer because it had kind of his motifs all over it. This the this staff is loaded, just to put it put it bluntly. And it's it's not only is it loaded, but it's kind of like a collection of talent that hasn't worked on a mainline Final Fantasy game in uh other than a mainline non-MMO Final Fantasy game in a while. So it's really kind of a, an exciting thing to look at and see like exactly how this will feel as a single player experience. Yeah, I mean it's uh you know it's still it's still far uh, far away but at least we have a release window now for it and uh, hoping the best you know it, it's if nothing else it looks interesting and i, I just uh, i really hope that it uh is as responsive as it looks uh in the gameplay and, you know i have i have faith in that i really enjoyed devil may cry 5 i really enjoyed dragon's dogma so having the combat director uh of those games work on this game uh, it fills me with a lot of hope that at least uh, like this will be you know a, a very enjoyable game to play because you know but like there, there are many Final Fantasies to me that like I really enjoyed its characters and the story was telling. But for some, but for some of them, it's like, well, you know, that, that's cool. But like the way they they played just like didn't really line up with what I wanted. You know, like FF fifteen comes to mind to a certain point where like I really like I really li grew to like the the characters of that game. Uh, the story was very hit and miss at points, but like actually controlling uh, the game, like because I, I only played the launch version of that game. I never played it with like all the updates it's on its life's uh you know lifespan i was like yeah you know the gameplay's okay it's like it's almost there for me but it's not quite there i don't know like the thing that i can't stand about ff15 is the weapons they feel like i'm like using paperweight or something yeah the way that yeah. noctis like slices weapon feels like you're like slapping a piece of paper on and, and, and meanwhile in this trailer you can feel that like weapons are very weighty you know like there's like a, a like a like a uh, ground slam move that uh Clive uses at some point they trade like yeah that looks really awesome to use so it's uh it's pretty exciting to see like how this is shaping up and if nothing else like on first view I was like it definitely wowed me when I first saw it and I was like and you know obviously as you're breaking it down through you know more replays of the trade it's like okay you know that it was definitely messy at points but if nothing else it like it inspires curiosity and like it inspires sort of like um it gives you a lot enough to chew on and think about uh, as we wait for it. I do think the game looks a lot cleaner. I remember when the first trailer came out, you were like, "Is this next gen?" It, it it didn't quite have that level of polish to it. Where this game, the this trailer, I think they, the, I think it was Yoshida who was on record saying that the next time he showed it, he wanted to wow people. He didn't want it to be like rough around the edges. And uh, obviously, a good way to do that is just to show off their, you know, flex their muscles with all of these like summon animations. So I think they kind of hit their mark there. 
And I I'm kind of agree. That, 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 I'm surprised that like, there's so many, so much CGI scenes in this game. Like I want, I really wonder like what the total like file size for this game is mm-hmm. at the end of the day. Because like, man, if that, if like a, a lot of these story scenes are like full CGI, it's to be like I assume going to be in 4K. What, mm-hmm. what file size are we looking at for this game? Well, I mean, we've been multiple K languages. Blu-ray. 4K Blu-rays can go up to 100 gigabytes. So uh, yeah, it's going to be like 4K multiple languages. Uh, who knows how long this RPG is? And also, like, and, and and then PS5's uh, storage space not being ideal for already. So like, all right. Also, here's something uh, terrifying. Uh, FF7R on PS4 had two discs. Did it only, oh, oh, oh yeah, it did, didn't it? Oh yeah, had like an install disc. Yeah, I got it digitally, so I don't know about <laughs> that. It was like an install in that game disc, was it? Yeah. So yeah, yeah uh, summer twenty twenty three PlayStation five. No other details at all about uh, other platforms at the moment. Obviously, something we're really looking excited, uh, looking forward to, and excited about. The last feature we have up on the site is the one that I kind of briefly mentioned. How. Uh, people have been speculating and combing through the trailer frame by frame and using their you know knowledge of Devil May Cry and other uh, Capcom action titles to try to speculate exactly how this game will play like. Uh, if that is something that is of interest to you, we have an article up on the site called Final Fantasy 16 Battle System Analysis Combat Mechanics Revealed by the Trailer. So if you're the type of person to uh, click through the trailer frame by frame and try to piece out exactly how it'll play, we have an article out that kind of really goes in depth about all the things that could possibly come into play uh, as you uh, go through Final Fantasy 16. And, what, uh, and Alex kind of put some of this together uh with a few guesses and speculation from the initial trailer, but obviously we got more footage from the new one. So we have an in-depth article looking at that. And then we also had one other uh, Square Enix property get a announcement and a new trailer. And maybe Adam can talk about this one more. Oh, I felt so silly, but okay, Adam. I uh, maybe this, this trailer. One, yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe this is more up your alley. Uh, so we talked about how we had a Saga series live stream last week that we were looking forward to. And I know Adam, Josh, and Chow have speculated what might come from that. Maybe Unlimited Saga, maybe some other things. Uh, what we oh, ended up geez. getting, yeah, what we ended up getting was an announcement of Romancing Saga Minstrel Song Remastered. We got a trailer for it. We got an announcement that this is coming out this winter, uh, no specific date, but winter 2022 for uh, PC, PS4, Xbox, sorry, not Xbox, not Xbox, PC, PS4, <laughs> Switch, and mobile, not Xbox. Uh, so, Adam, uh, the Minstrel Song Sailor, this is a game that I, believe that you think pretty highly of i don't know if you're in a huge rush to replay it or if there's a if a remaster is a good enough reason for you to do it uh i guess what are your thoughts on the remaster what are your thoughts on minstrel song in general and if people are either new to the saga series or have been recently introduced uh should they be looking forward to minstrel song remastered also worth mentioning before that uh, it's coming it has a native playstation 5 release coming as well alongside playstation 4 switch steam and mobile yeah, so when we're talking about Saga series, a lot of games in the series have been remastered recently, like uh, Romancing Saga 2, Romancing Saga 3, uh, the Saga Frontier remaster released last year, which won our you know, best remaster of the year kind of category in our year-end awards. Um, there's also the Game Boy games. The original Saga games are now on Switch and PC and mobile. Um, actually, I'm pretty sure like all of these games are also on mobile. So the fact that these, this new announcement is also on mobile is just kind of like par for the course for this series, um, which is sort of interesting. But um, so Romancing Saga Minstrel Song is a what a, what the the game is originally a PlayStation Two game, 
and it's a remake of the original Romancing Saga, which is on Super Famicom. So, uh, to be clear, the original Romancing Saga on Super Famicom was never officially translated into English. Um, actually, none of the Romancing Saga Super Famicom games were. Um, while 2 and 3 got remasters, the thing with Romancing Saga is it got this remake on PlayStation 2 back in 2005. It was called Minstrel Song in Japan. I don't think it actually had a subtitle in the West, but people just called it Minstrel Song to differentiate it, right? Mm-hmm. And um, so that is the game that's actually being remastered here. So in short, this is a remaster of a remake. Now, Minstrel Song I love is just like... Yeah, um, Minstrel Song is great. It's a weird game. It's kind of ugly, but it's cool as hell. And the Romancing Saga games, generally, broadly, how they work is that, at least one in three, is that you are given um, several different characters you can choose from at the beginning. There's eight in total. And uh, especially in Romancing Saga, Minstrel Song, depending on which character you choose, you kind of have like a different starting point on the world and like your storyline that you're following is a little bit different. Um, And then... It's kind of, I've heard one person describe Romancing Saga as like a JRPG Skyrim, which is maybe uh, uh, kind of a not necessarily 100% accurate way to put it, but the idea is right in that it's sort of an open world, open-ended, non-linear game that once you're kind of get past the opening parts of the game, you can go in any direction. You can recruit a number of different characters from a wide pool of characters. There's a lot of different quests you can stumble across. And um, each with, you know, unique dungeons or boss fights or or what have you. And there's a lot of flexibility in how you build your characters and your party. For people who got into the Saga series with Scarlet Grace, like, this won't be, like, totally foreign to you. Yeah, Scarlet Grace is similar. Um, So unlike Scarlet Grace, this does actually have, like, towns and dungeons that you can explore. um, Whereas, you know, Scarlet Grace is kind of, like, you know, uh, abstracts that using a world map. But it's a similar in design. So this is not like, if you're not familiar with Saga, this isn't like a story-driven JRPG as you would typically think of that. It's more open-ended uh, RPG with like a JRPG kind of combat um, with all the Saga stylings uh, that we all know and love, or at least I know and love. Now, um, when we knew that they, when we, when Kawazu, when we, I've spoken with Kawazu two times now, and he's mentioned, you know, that they're going to that they're interested in remastering a lot of the games in the series. The ones that haven't been remastered yet were Saga Frontier Two, which is which originally released on the original PlayStation, uh, a limited saga on PlayStation Two, which I've never played, and this Romancing Saga game. So we weren't sure if they, if they were going to remaster like the original Romancing Saga. Or this remake, Minstrel Song. I know somebody was actually hoping they'd kind of like merge the two together. Like, what if you have like Minstrel Song sort of styles with the with the uh, original like like HD 2D or something? But that's not the case. It's just it looks like to be a remaster of the PS2 game. And they have mentioned that there's going to be some like quality of life adjustments and new elements. I think that's the way they put it, new elements. But they haven't detailed at all what those are. So I believe they said on the live stream that it won't be as significant as Saga Frontier, which that remaster had a bunch of. Stuff. Yeah, that 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 remaster had a bunch of cut like cut content that you know was known about the original release, kind of added back in. Minstrel Song didn't really, as far as I know, have like a significant amount of cut content to just you know kind of 
reshape back into the game. Yeah. But they, uh, if anything, like, like, remake something. was like, like, like Mistral Sun was that remake of like trying to try to like incorporate like the original ideas, right. and streamlined ideas of the original already. So like, there's really no need at that point. Yeah. But they, it sounds like they're going to have a few new things now. One thing about Minstrel Song that I totally understand the design philosophy of this, but I understand also why this could be aggravating to some people, is that like a lot of saga games, you have a battle rank, and that generally speaking, the stronger you get, the stronger like the world gets around you, and so everything sort of scales to your like ability and your stats and whatnot. And that also affects what quests are available. And on one hand, like, you know, if this is a tough quest, you don't want it to be available at the very beginning of the game because you might have, like, no, absolutely no shot of, like, defeating the boss or whatever. But also on the flip side, the game will actually, like, lock out quests from you if you get too strong. Like, quite literally, if you reach, like, battle rank 20, there might be a few quests are like, nope, you can't do this quest anymore. It just doesn't, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not there. Like, you can't do it. And like on at a face value, it's like, wait, why do that? But I, I believe the idea is, is there's a sort of a lot of the saga games are kind of like Kawazu's take on like a Dungeons and Dragons campaign. And like when you're doing a D and D campaign, you're not gonna like encounter every single possible scenario that you could possibly run into in a single campaign, like depending on which direction you go or what you do. Uh, so that's kind of the idea here is that like when you're exploring this world and running into quests, you're not really supposed to like do all of them. Does that make sense? It's supposed yeah, to like, well, yeah, kind of we kind of bit... have this, we ha- kind of have this predilection to like some of us who like really love RPGs will be exhaustive like, about it. Right. That's the, 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 the that's, it feels like to me, the, the idea with this here was that like you weren't supposed to like, you know, you're supposed to explore the world, run into quests. You're going to do run into a handful of them, do a handful of them. And then like, depend, depending on where you go and what you do, because you have a lot of freedom there, you're going to run into a different set of quests or locations or areas. There's even a location in the game. I forget what it's called, but I remember where it is. It's like in the northwest part of the map. That's very hard to get to unless you know what you're doing. And it's kind of like a well-kept secret in the game, like how you actually unlock it. Um, But that's kind of the idea is that you're you're not supposed to exhaust the map. It's supposed to just like like a playground almost, like explore and find things. And, you know, what you find is just going to be what you find and whatnot. But I'm wondering if like in the remaster, if they might tweak how the battle rank works or how the quest navigation works in terms of like where you can find them when they get locked off or whatnot things like that like i could romancing saga 3 was actually like that where nothing in romancing saga 3 was missable you could do any quest if you found it and you couldn't we wouldn't get locked away so i'm wondering if they might tweak small things like that um there's also like a class system in the game there's some crafting you can do in the game that maybe they might tweak a bit here and there um but otherwise, if you like saga games, you'll like Minstrel Song. It's similar to The Last Remnant, which is a saga game and all that name, in terms of its like overworld like kind of design and structure and freedom to go where you want. Um, I'm actually thinking of maybe writing up something, just kind of like just a preview, of, not necessarily a remaster, but like, hey, here's what Minstrel Song is about, because it's pretty different than what you might ex- might assume. It's Just generally like, a, like a, a decent like gateway into the Ma Saga series too. Like it, yeah. it, 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 it doesn't pull punches about like what Saga is. It's like it's like this is what the Saga series is. You either like it or not. But it's not. But you're not like totally aimless in it. Like it. But you have to mm-hmm. accept it. Like you know, you, you play it your own way. Don't like be 
crazy about like you know getting to everything but, yeah uh, so my this romantic saga three and like saga frontier i'd say i guess scarlet grace also are like all mm-hmm. decent ways to get into it and now, yeah. and now you know all remastered it's also the sort of game where uh like there's not random battles there's like icons on the map that you run into so i'm wondering if like um sort of like saga frontier like maybe they'll make it where you can avoid battles or run away from battle i don't i think i'm trying to remember in saga frontier you couldn't run away at all in the original Mm -hmm. version yeah in this game i think you can run away but there's i'm trying to remember there's some like penalty or cost of doing it that you that that definitely was like you were punished for it but i I I don't remember if it was like your hp is like lowered or money or something but i'm wondering if they tweak things like that also um where you don't have to battle as much but it's a really cool game i might write something up on it I'm interested to see if they make any tweaks or adjustments to it at all. And uh, it was also know, really they, funny for Adam and I to see like a new generation being exposed to like the character models. Oh yeah, I was I was gonna say like that's it has a very distinct look to it. It's <laughs> sort of similar to Scarlet Grace. Like Scarlet Grace kind of has like you know stylized models in that they're not like perfect human proportions of their heads and their arms and whatnot, but. Um, it's not quite as chibi as this game looks. Um, I mean, even Saga Frontier, like there are obviously sprites there, but there's not like proportioned like you would expect for humans. But uh, that's just sort of the style they go with. Um, like oh, I said, I, I do, I do admittedly think it's not like my preferred look for the game, but I don't almost, I almost don't care, like because the rest of the game is so cool. Mm-hmm. Um, the music oh. is great, also. It's Kenji oh, I Ito. Love, I love, love music. It's like it's, it might be one of my favorite Kenji Ito like soundtracks. It's really Very good. good. I was gonna say no one misses my donkey mode, Donkey Kong mode. Kenjito <laughs> just doesn't miss. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but so other that's... than that, like like other than that, the rest of the sagas, like that, that was the main highlight of the saga series stream. Like they talked about obviously reuniverse and all that stuff there. Like doing a Mitchell song collab in it, um, and then they have like the Imperial Saga Eclipse or whatever. But there's nothing else really like said. Or tease or anything. It was like, hey, I think here's the, here's the at the end. What all he said was kind of like in a single sentence was, "There are more games to remaster." Yep. Yep. Sort of hinting like, okay, that's Saga Frontier and Unlimited Saga, basically. Um, and we are still working on a new game, which he had previously announced. Yeah. So um, probably won't see those till next year. So yeah. Final Fantasy thirteen. I mean, sixteen before before the I mean, Saga for sure. Frontier two. For sure. I mean, this game is probably going to come out like December or January or whatever. Sounds like. So they said winter, I believe, is the way the wording they used. If, right. if anything else, like like Saga fans are probably like the most stable fucking fan base. That's sort of like that. Like what what they're waiting for is almost guaranteed. Like for old games, <laughs> you know, you just have to wait. Kawazu, you believe in Kawazu at this point. He he's he's getting it done. Yeah, it, it's been very funny this week seeing like at least before the sixteen trailer came out, seeing everyone like in my circle saying, "Man." Saga fans, they they are just constantly eating. They don't have to stress about anything. Yeah. Well, they also so this is also funny. Like, there Square Enix has official accounts for all their brands. There's like a Mana account, and there's a Star Ocean account, and so on and so forth. They finally opened an English language Saga account. Which there was just implies that like, that there's more coming. Yeah. <laughs> well, God, God bless the Saga series. I, I do think it's funny that like the Japanese. Um, saga account is still titled like romancing saga 2 pr 
back from like the remaster. That was like 2015 or something. So, you know, six, six, seven years ago. Uh, and that's just, that's the, now the official saga account for Japan is just the romancing saga Two PR is still the one that they use. Pause well, hasn't gotten around one. to updating the name. Like, just give him some time. He's a busy man. Well, they they, they don't care. They're, they're they're too busy. Like, you know, we'd rather just fucking work on the remaster and make the game. We don't care about like the soft rules. You know, someone else can uh-huh. handle that. It's like it feels like it's like it feels like it's like the most chill studio. That's your that, that, like, that, 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 that no stream one. actually had uh, quite a few viewers. Like, yeah, I think I think when I was watching it, it got up to like thirty thousand. Which you know, for a saga stream that was at like in the west, like at four a.m. or something like that. Uh, it, it, I, it, it, you know what? I, th- I feel like most of those like viewers are probably like mobile universe. universe. Yeah, yeah you know? probably again <laughs> hoping for the freebie announcement. Exactly, and, and then uh, that's why they keep releasing these uh, remasters on mobile because it's like the the there's not really for the for the Western audience. Like, sure, they're, they're they're great, but I think it's mainly for the Japanese mobile audience that like experience Saga through their mobile devices, so they're all at one spot. Like, you know, I'm done with my Reuniverse dailies for the day. I want to play some fucking, you know. Scarlet Grace or Romancing Saga <laughs> Three, just live Saga on their phone vicariously. And I want to say that Saga Frontier Remastered actually sold really well on Steam. Like it was like one of the uh, top sellers the week it came. It out. sold more than Saga Scarlet Grace. That's like, so sick. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's funny. How how uh, well do the Saga games work on Steam Deck? Do you know, uh, Scarlet Grace uh, works uh, about as well as you'd expect. Um, okay. The only issue it could have had was uh, the opening movie, but the PC version doesn't play it by default anyways. So. Okay. That's so funny. Yeah. The PC version of the Scarlet Grace opening movie, you just have to find it in the files and play it. It doesn't actually play <laughs> they it. They didn't just dump the, the video file in there. <laughs> and, 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 and they never fixed it. They're like, ah, you know, it, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Thank, so, thank yeah. you, Saga devs. <laughs> Before we move on from Square Enix, there is one other footnote here, and that is that longtime Final Fantasy producer and the Kingdom Hearts, like, essentially founder, Shinji Hashimoto, is retiring from the company. I think we're all kind of aware, or at least somewhat aware, of the story of a Disney exec and a Square Enix exec meeting in an elevator when they shared an office building, and that's how Kingdom Hearts was born. Well, that Square Enix exec was Shinji Hashimoto, and he's also been just a public face of the company for a while. He's the originator of like the Please Be Excited meme. Remember before Final Fantasy VII uh, Remake was announced, they announced it for PS4, but it was just a port of the original game. Uh, yeah, yeah. Feel good. <laughs> uh, feels like an, an eon ago. <laughs> Yeah, I think that was like 2013 or something like that. I don't know if people follow. like meme or even be rudely mean spirited towards Hashimoto. I think he was like uh, overall like a net positive for Square Enix. Like he was a he was a very uh, outspoken, accessible dude. Like he when when like when like you talk to him, like he's very like direct and upfront about like his answers to stuff. I think the only thing that he did wrong was the Final Fantasy VII announcement, not the yeah. remake. <laughs> Dude, I, I like that. I like that he enjoyed it. Like he's like he knows what people wanted, and like I'm sure it's like it's still very early, early in development. But he's like, I'm just gonna fuck with people, <laughs> you know. And uh, I think he had a he he was he had a pretty good career over there at Square Enix. Uh, I, I respect the dude. Yeah, it was. Uh, I think I can still get over that that they misread the room. Yeah, but I think he had a good uh, time with it. Like he's like Josh implies. Uh, yeah, and and he also had like you know put up a video on like the, on the on the Twitter socials, you know, just talking about like you know if you see me anywhere, say hi to me. Don't be shy, you know. I'd be happy like you know take a picture with you. You know, he just seems like a very like 
easy to talk to person uh you know when you're when you're not when like when you're not getting like roadblocked by like you know pr people be like hey don't fucking get near this dude you know it's just he seems he 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 seems like he genuinely like like likes to interact with the fans of like you know the games that he's been involved with, mm-hmm. you know. And he and he's uh, uh, you know just to mention like he's retired because he's at retirement age, and you know when you reach a certain age in Japan, it is you know mandatory that you enter retirement. That is the law there. I actually didn't know that. Yes. Well, he's he regardless of whether it's a law or not, he has earned it. He has been working uh, for the company for how many years? Oh God! Uh, I don't know if he actually put a year count on it. I forgot. No, it's a long he, time. He was a producer for Final Fantasy VIII, so at least that long. So he's been there a yeah. good while. But yeah, he's earned your retirement, uh, Shinji Hashimoto. Now, the the lead that I ended up uh, shortcutting is that we got another set of new information about the upcoming Pokemon Scarlet and Pokemon Violet for this year. Uh, We kind of got a little bit of heads up ahead of time that we were going to expect a new trailer in early June. And we got that alongside an announcement of the release date. I'll just say that off first. Pokemon Scarlet and Pokemon Violet will release on November 18th, which is the sort of window that you could just kind of predict. It was either going to be that or the week after. It's always in that time period in November. Uh, I want to got... say that there's been at least like four or five Pokemon games that have specifically come out on November 18th. Yeah, I and mean, you can kind of see that uh, when you um, we obviously on our social page on our Twitter channel do some anniversary posts pretty frequently. And usually we just kind of can batch together a bunch of Pokemon ones together. So I won't be surprised if that's true for Scarlet and Violet. Uh, more interesting than the release date are some of the information from this trailer. So some of the stuff is kind of like interesting and novel to some extent, for instance, this is the first paired set of games where whichever Pokemon professor you get will be dependent on the version that you have. Playing Pokemon Violet, you'll get Professor Turo. If you're playing Pokemon Scarlet, you'll get Professor Sada. Uh, they had some new information uh, about the legendary Pokemon just because you know they're the mascots in the box art. But more interestingly, we learned that this trailer uh, in this game that up to four players can play together online simultaneously. And there's a lot of just in the just in the footage itself. It seems like there's a lot of kind of inspiration taken from the January release this year of Pokemon Legends Arceus. Uh, and alongside that, we got a you know some some new Pokemon introduced as well. Uh, it seems like a favorite has been Lechonk, which is a kind of a normal type little pig Pokemon that is shown in the trailer and is very very cute. So and very has when a very I first saw name. this, I just so I, I couldn't watch this trailer right away, but I was just like looking at Twitter. And I saw someone call the pig Lechonk. And I just, at first I thought that was just like his pet nickname for the pig. And like, no, that's the official name of the Pokemon. Okay. It better evolve into Lechungus. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's a pun for a pig in German? Yeah. I think. Spanish, probably. Spanish. Oh, yeah, because it's a Spanish themed expansion. Yeah. So, yeah, he, he's fun. Uh, the Absolutely thing is, is that. Fantastic name. So I think that the headline that Pokemon Scarlet and Pokemon Violet will have co op. I think is obviously a very exciting one, but then I think like, how is that going to work on a, like on a turn-based game? Like, or just, if you're near an ally, you're going to have double battles uh, as you go through the game. I think it's really going to be exciting to see like once we, this is kind of the sort of announcement where the announcement of co-op itself is fun, but I kind of also just need some details to be like, how is that going to work? Because they, they're kind of, they kind of are pretty light on the ground here. Unless, unless it kind of came through in some, in a press release that dropped later that I didn't poke through. A lot uh, of the like, specific... they, no, they 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 just dropped like you know you saw some of it in the trailer like hey people up to four players can like 
play together and like or they can go their separate ways so like in the trailer you saw like four different players at different regions of the map um and they didn't really specify like exactly how like the mechanics would work together all all that people know is like hey we can play alongside one another <laughs> um but it's it's re- it's really interesting to see how the hell it'll this will get done like it feels it, it feels like I don't know. I have no idea how they're going to do it because they're, you know, that in the announcement of Scarlet and Violet, they're saying like this will be like the first like true open world, you know, Pokemon game, uh, and so you know what how that how that actually will manifest is to anyone's guess. But you know, it it it's a lot of like these words feel make you feel good. It's like oh man, that sounds really promising. But you don't know if that'll actually be promising. But Game Freak is really good at making things sound promising. I am going to say right now, and I don't think this is a bit of a hot take. Now, obviously, a lot of people like Sword and Shield, or at least the base game. I feel like a lot of people felt like me, where it was like, it's a fine game, but I was disappointed with it until the DLC came out. I would be shocked if I do not enjoy Scarlet and Violet more than base game Sword and Shield. Just oh, based they, off what they've shown. They don't want the Sword and Shield expansions uh, add like a multiplayer to it. Like you can like explore like a dungeon through uh, uh, not, multiplayer. Well, kind of. So max raids were already a thing in uh, in a base game, but max raid adventures was an is something where you can go to a specific part of the Crown Tundra, and you it's like one of those battle frontier facilities almost with the way it works you start off with preset pokemon and you do it in a group and you choose pathways for where you want to go to get to the end and every time you battle a pokemon on the way to the end you have a chance to like swap yours out for the pokemon you just captured and then you have a legendary at the very end that you can battle if you if you successfully um beat it you can capture it and i believe there's also a higher chance of getting a shiny uh, legendary that way do you actually interact or 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 battle alongside other people at all yes you do you do it with other people and you can see what they're saying um obviously it's a nintendo game so the communication is very poor uh i feel like a lot of people i hope that the multiplayer and scarlet and violet is way better than sword and shield because you know the one thing that the one worst thing about Sword and Shield, YCOM. YCOM is terrible. I can't believe they thought it was a good idea. What's a YCOM? Okay. You cannot explicitly say, I want to trade with this person. Instead, you can set a password and be like, I want to trade, and it's going to be private session. So if somebody has the same passcode, which is a four-digit passcode, <laughs> then they might be able to see my trade request or my battle request on Ycom, if it's if it refreshes at the right time for them to see it, and there was oh. no way to manually refresh it unless you explicitly went offline and back online again, because oh, oh, the no. cooldown for refreshing was like every five minutes. So if you wanted to do it quicker than that, you had to go offline, online, on and off again. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, it shocks me that that more people don't talk about how bafflingly stupid the yeah that sounds awful system and sword and shield is like you know i remember back when i reviewed it back in like 2019 uh people like responded to my review like on like reset era and reddit saying yeah i can't believe more people aren't talking about how terrible ycom is because as a system it's like just absolutely terrible 
Anyways, yeah, hopefully, hopefully, yeah, hopefully, it's, yeah, hopefully, it's more seamless here now that you know you're occupying the same space as like with another person. You're just hopefully, trading is more, you know, seamless and on the fly and makes more sense. Uh, you know, with, with the new structure changes they're doing here, but you know, it 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 looks cool, and I wonder, I want, I really wonder, like if you can, if it'll support like uh, land support, if like if there's like multiple switches, you know, near each other, so you can just like don't have to rely on an internet connection. That'd be really cool too, but. Yeah, that's really all they released uh, announced outside of like you know Lechonk and uh, was Smoliv and Palmy. They also, I think, I think they also announced was Nimona a, a, a rival character or just uh, or a, or a yeah, person it sounds like yeah. As a far far as we know, she's taking the role of the rival, even though very much in the friendly nature of it. Uh, Pawnee seems like it's the Pikachu clone of this uh, of this generation. Um, it actually is uh, electric type. It's electric type mouse Pokemon, and then yeah, Smalley, uh, just a small like early route grass Pokemon. And none, none, no evolutions at all have been shown yet. Not for the starters, not for any of the newly introduced ones. So those will obviously kind of as we ramp up marketing towards November eighteenth. I'm sure those will be coming through. And obviously, people have been speculating on the starter evolutions for a while now. Uh, bets on whether or not Sprigatato will stay uh, on all four or go. To his hind legs once he evolves. I think that they'll keep him on all fours. Nah, mm. nah, nah. Mm. They they can't help themselves. <laughs> the the, the precedent is there. <laughs> they can't help themselves. I also love how people memed about Sprigatito being a weed cat, and then like the most recent information we got about it is that it uh, it emits a sweet smelling aroma whenever it needs its pause, which makes people like basically become very calm and relaxed. And it's like, it's actually oh. fucking weed. Oh. Cat. <laughs> this aroma has therapeutic qualities. It makes opponents lose their will to battle. Totally. Does weed it cat. make them hungry too? Small of watch out. And then uh, in related Pokemon news, uh, this actually came a little bit before the trailer. Uh, that a long-time uh, series co-founder, sorry, it's not series co-founder, the Game Freak co-founder, Junichi Masuda, is stepping down from Game Freak. He has been there for 33 years and is moving over into a role at the Pokemon company itself as a chief creative fellow. So moving from the game development studio more to just the Pokemon company in general. So kind of an interesting move because I never quite get how the puzzle pieces of how Creatures, Inc., the Pokemon Company and Game Freak totally like line together. So he's moving from Game Freak to Pokemon Company. Uh, it's not, not retirement like in the case of Shinji Hashimoto, but it'll be interesting to see uh, how he moves on from a game specific role to just a role for the uh, under the IP in general. He basically says that he hopes to transcend the boundaries of video games to try to offer greater surprises and excitement and fun to fans all over the world. So it'll be interesting to see uh, how he uh, incorporates into his new role and what he brings to the Pokemon company. Because obviously the IP is already the largest in the world, but it sounds like he has some smart and fun ideas. So good luck to Junichi Matsuda. Yeah, it's been interesting to see how like Matsuda has become like, kind of like the 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 face representative of, the, of Pokemon. Like we know when they're about to announce like a new mainline, Masuda is usually the one who unveils it. Uh, mm-hmm. during like a Nintendo uh, stream. So it's really interesting to see like who will like step up to the plate and like kind of replace his uh, managing director role at uh, Game Freak. But yeah, this guy has been around since, you know, the very beginning of Game Freak and since the very like, you know, first Pokemon games, uh, you know, he served as like uh like a composer uh, and programmer for, like the Pokemon Red, Green, Blue. 
and that yeah, he like, he was the director of Pokemon Ruby, and then yeah. he has directed not every title, but titles since from Pokemon Ruby Generation Three all the way through uh, Brilliant Diamond Shining Pearl because he has been there a long time and in a director role for a good chunk of it because obviously he was a co-founder of Game Freak, so a huge talent that's been there a while. Uh, so I be interesting to see, like, obviously we've already kind of see, they've seen the games recently kind of get adventures and try new things, maybe not at the pace that certain people would like, but Pokemon Legends Arceus was obviously a, uh, maybe a step in the right direction for many and kind of a promising game for, as like a, a barometer for the future. And it'd be interesting to see like how he kind of takes that sort of growth that the series has seen then from, from the, from the video game perspective and carried over into the Pokemon company outside of the gaming realm. And there was actually one other game that was announced uh, this week that I at least want to kind of put here at the uh, mid part of the podcast. And that is that Alcat Games, the developers behind the Pathfinder CRPGs, has announced a new project. That is Warhammer 40k Rogue Trader as the first classic CRPG under the Warhammer IP. So uh, I'm... I, I reviewed both Pathfinder Kingmaker and Pathfinder Wrath of the Righteous. I've kind of become a fan of Alcat, even if their games have kind of been uh, a little bit messy and a little bit kind of bug ridden. They, I think they are really ambitious and really fun. And not a lot of developers nowadays are creating like these uh, real time with pause CRPGs. I will say, though, when I first read this headline about the announcement of Warhammer 40k Rogue Trader, that we see so many Warhammer games that I don't like keep them straight. And honestly, when I was putting this podcast outline together, I put the wrong Warhammer title in there uh, be- because we also got uh, news this week that um, Warhammer Inquisitor Martyr. Is that also Warhammer 40K or is that Warhammer? Yeah, See, yeah, I'm, I, I don't I don't even get these straight. OK, uh, Warhammer uh, 40K Inquisitor Martyr is getting a next gen um, port later in the year but the more important more interesting news is this uh rogue trader game and it kind of like i immediately i'm not saying that alcat had to be married to pathfinder for forever i actually be interested to see what they could do with an original ip but like okay if i'm going to play any warhammer game because there's so many and they start to blend together i'll probably play this one because i i, I know the developer uh, i think the the trailer that they showed for it was a pretty cool interesting mix of some uh pretty clean and fun looking 2d animation and uh they're uh, just in-game, even though it's an announcement trailer, some in-game footage of how the game will actually look from the classic isometric perspective. Uh, the premise seems pretty fun. Uh, I think the trailer looks pretty interesting. So yeah, I guess yeah. now uh, I'll have to I'll have to loop in Alex Seedhouse, who I think knows more about Warhammer than any of us here, as my uh, yep. as my guess. And basically, like, all right, if if Warhammer is this giant kind of like nebulous mass, I have no idea where you approach it from. Might as well be this one. Uh, as far as I can tell, there has been no announcement of release windows. Uh, at all but it has been announced for uh pc and consoles so they did not specify which consoles which is not surprising because for the for both of their pathfinder games they would release them on pc and then typically in the next year uh port the games over to console and they also have implemented kind of turn-based modes in their previous games to support that so it's kind of cool that they see uh that they're kind of giving these games uh kind of life on console that maybe a few years ago they wouldn't get they'd be kind of pc centric only want to give that a shout out not maybe not as exciting or high profile as obviously final fantasy 16 saga or pokemon but a game that i'm looking forward to playing whenever it does uh get released no i think a lot of like you know western rpg fans like you know that this went under our radar about like you because of that like uh the pathfinder series developers on it and it's like that's a uh like uh something very unexpected where it's like oh man i'm like i'm not really into warhammer but if you know these Pathfinder devs are on it. That, you know, 
that it's now reaching a new audience and like and you know warhammer 40k games aren't aren't the type of games where you have to like play every single one to understand them it's just like hey whatever warhammer game looks cool to you you know you should go check it out it's not like you have to be so beholden to you know what the massive franchise is through every entry you know you just kind of take it as it is it's like okay sure why not this might be a little bit like shallow but uh, a lot of times and i think people and naturally so they kind of the isometric perspective of crpgs is almost seen as like a kind of a maybe like a low budget thing or like a, a low a low visual presentation but i think this is, might sound a little bit silly but i think that alcat makes like the prettiest looking isometric games out there because the, even the footage and the screenshots that we show are pre-alpha but man i think this game just looks really nice uh for a crpg which a lot of times with this type of perspective uh it's more stylized or more artsy or even pixel based where here it's just kind of it looks like a high budget isometric crpg which i think is uh not not a lot of people make those and even like uh obsidian made the the pillars of eternity games but it doesn't look like they're going to continue that due to the low sales of the previous ones but we'll see because there is an xbox bethesda showcase uh next week or i think it's next week it's in early june that next we'll be Sunday, recording i think oh so might just sneak past not not next um not podcast, next podcast like right after, after next podcast yeah <laughs> couple other updates on some other games that we've mentioned in the past that we've been kind of waiting for news on. Uh, one of which is a game, this is an indie title from Chucklefish. Well, is Chucklefish really indie anymore? They're pretty good. They're pretty big size now. Uh, this is a title from Chucklefish that has been in development for a while. We first reported on it back, I think, in like 2017 before it had a name, and that is the upcoming Witchbrook. Uh, Witchbrook is a simulation game that takes place uh, basically as a uh, kind of like a Harry Potter type verse. Uh, underneath the kind of like the same sort of paradigm as like stardew valley uh, it uh, was re-revealed back in 2020 under its new name and new art style and now it just launched its steam page in the last week alongside a lot of new details and a lot of new screenshots uh still no release date for which brook talks about some of the premise of the game about you're taking on the role of a student at a wizard in college you're going out and completing assignments and you're learning about spells brewing potions all sorts of witching and wizarding sorts of things and uh, i don't know it just looks really charming it looks really fun it's been i think a lot of people have been kind of looking forward to this for a while still kind of in that place but we got a new steam page for it and the new screenshots so it looks like it's coming together nicely and maybe good things just take time but looks like a really fun, kind of well thought out, really feature rich product. Yeah, I'm very excited to see like whenever they release the, the like a trailer on it uh, or anything like uh, all the little details about you know like you're just kind of living life uh, through this of Witchbrook College, you know, attending classes, like trying to master like magic, getting to know like you know uh, your peers, you know, hanging out with them, developing like you know romantic relationships, and you know I th- I think it's like it's really f- funny that like you would think like in this type of game it's like oh man may- maybe graduation is like the 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 goal of this game and it's like there's like a some sort of component like where you continue the game after you graduate too uh from this uh witch college uh which is interesting so i mean i'm witch really looking alumni to... yeah so and like uh, the screenshots the few screenshots they showed off look very lovely um it, it looks better and better every time they show it so you know take all the time you need you know it's uh, coming along really well we also finally this is kind of a small update in the grand theme of, in the grand scheme of things but uh, we got a update on the upcoming new Dragon Age product that has been in kind of a development, not quite hell for since like 2018, 2017. We have a title for the next Dragon Age game, and it is Dragon Age Dreadwolf, which honestly is kind of like 
when they first revealed this game, like with concept art back at like one of the earliest the game awards, I believe, if I'm recalling correctly, they announced it with like a piece of concept art with the hashtag the Dreadwolf Rises. So now they're just announcing like four or five years later. Yep, it's called Dragon Age Dreadwolf, uh, obviously with a major focus on the character of Solus from Dragon Age 3. And there's a some some press release footage about the title and about Solus uh, alongside this announcement. But unfortunately, that's pretty much it. It's kind of the title, uh, a little bit of the premise of the game, and that's mostly it. No, no screenshots, no other footage, no details, no no platform, yeah. no launch. Yeah. Okay. Uh, when did Dragon Age Four technically get announced? Was it this last Game Awards or was it? No, it's been it's no. been years. It's like okay, okay, like two, I'm, two or I'm three Game Awards. Blunt, I'm gonna be blunt here. 2018. 2018. No, I'm, I'm going to be really blunt here. They shouldn't have bothered with this if they didn't have us have something to show us. Yeah. This yeah. is the most low hanging fruit imaginable. And it does nothing for me as someone that just assumes that Bioware is not going to be able to, to deliver on this game after the one, two punch of Andromeda and Anthem. What are they doing? <laughs> this is the, the news they give us after over a year and a half. Yeah. I also is... remember, I think it was like two years ago. Or was it just last year where they kind of announced that they are working on Mass Effect 5, like, in a blog post? And then, like, a month later, they had, like, the teaser trailer for Mass Effect 5 that also showed kind of nothing. It, was, it just felt a little bit awkward. Like, I would, um, I would have to imagine this shows up, like, at, like, the Microsoft event or maybe the Summer Games Fest. Like, uh, like uh, surely this is, like, leading up to, like, a more formal reveal to one of these June events, right? Hopefully well, it wouldn't be hopes, it wouldn't bro. be at the Microsoft event unless they have third parties, but maybe it'd be it'd be a platform for it. Well, EA's uh, not doing anything this year, are they? So it could be Summer Games, it could be Microsoft, it could yeah, Fox because they could, could be, be yeah, because they could have like a marketing deal, like you know, like a, like marketed mm. on Xbox platform. So you know, so, so I mean that would make sense because uh, EA Play is uh, part of uh, Game Pass Ultimate, so it's like yeah, there's no EA Play this year, right? They they yeah. passed mm-hmm. it this year, you know, they did. So hope, I, I imagine hopefully this is just like kind of getting this out of the way and then, you know, getting wetting people's appetite for something. If, if, if we have this news and then nothing happens this month for this, it's like, okay, what was really the point <laughs> of this? But we'll see. And it's, we'll it's, see. Not even, it's not even like the title is that evocative. It's pretty like yeah. a low hanging fruit. And the thing is, it's kind of interesting because this is like the first three Dragon Age games are obviously connected, but pretty like divorced from each other. And this one, like Dragon Age uh, Inqu- um, Trespasser was the name of the DLC that kind of leads into Dragon Age 4 and has so a big focus on the. You have to play Dragon Quest or Dragon Age 3 and its DLC to like play this? Well, I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't <laughs> know where Josh, you, you put in this, uh, this quote from the publisher uh, underneath this news post, and I'm not sure if this was in the statement or not. It's like whether you're new to Dragon Age stories or, if you're, or you've experienced them all. Using Solus's namesake, no doubt, suggests a spectrum of endless possibility. I'm like, what? This just seems like mealy mouth. They're trying to say that you can play this regardless of whether you know who the Dreadwolf is or not. I was going to comment, like, I remember really enjoying Trespasser when I played it. And I thought, it's like, wow, the, not the possibilities are endless. It's a little bit trite. But, like, this is, like, a really engaging story. This is, like, why people love Bioware games in the first place. But like the farther removed we get from that, my memory, you know, fades. Like, why did I? What is that? What was like? What, I had to remind myself, like, what? Like, what is the conceit about Solus's character? How he like betrays you, and like he's got like he's he's like zero focused on a goal that's going to cost you know, 
the lives of several others, but I don't remember like the framework of why that happened. It's almost like, okay, I'll, I'll replay that maybe once I know that Dreadwolf is, you know, slated to come out. Cause it's the first time that a game seems like it's so intricately tied to what came before it without having that div- division between the entries and allowing you just to kind of enter wherever you'd like, even though they say that it is, but they didn't really provide any details. So it's just kind of like, like making a lot of assumptions and speculations. I'm kind of with James saying like, yeah. And I feel like it, for some context, part of what's uh, coloring my uh, thoughts, expectations is like my experience with Anthem. And very specifically, I did the preview and I was actually relatively positive on it because they said, oh, yeah, there's like these three like end game activities that we're going to show off now. You can only play these two. Um, you can't t- technically talk about this third one, but here's the three we have right now. And I was like, man, these are actually pretty fun. If they have a bunch of these, that'll be a pretty good uh, slot for um, like slate for launch. And it's like the game comes out. Those three things that we saw at the preview event are the only end game activities. And it's like, hmm. Yeah, it's just I I don't want to be that guy, but it's just like I Bioware needs to give me a reason to trust them at this point, and they haven't. Yeah, I, th- I think they're like in this weird period where like they're in the middle of like early development for a lot of these like long-awaited titles. Plus, they have to like they're also like in the this weird transition of like trying to get goodwill back. From people as well uh, like try to make you know they make a lot of states like oh we will we're striving to you know get everyone's goodwill back essentially and like you know make us trust in like the bioware brand again you know because it's like a good bit more than they can chew the thing is i actually really like all three dragon age games and once like i am also like similarly kind of cynical but like once this game has like a more squared up release whether that's in like two years or five it's really hard to say um i will probably use that as an excuse to replay through those the original trilogy it's not even it's not even quite a trilogy really it's just three games in the same series i think there's a slight uh, nuance difference there because i really enjoyed those games and i like it's been a while since i played any of them and this would be, it'd be yeah. a really cool excuse to replay them um so i'm, so I'm kind of looking forward to it for, for on just on that point i mean i know i don't need like I can do, I can start replaying those at any point. But it'd be kind of cool to replay those as like a lead into this. You know, get get allow myself to allow myself to just be optimistic and get excited for this release. But I can't, I can't really do that when they just say, "Here's the title, enjoy." We did have a couple other game announcements uh, this week, and this is from a, an indie developer, Shining Shoe, behind what is it, Monster Train? They've announced yeah. a co-op roguelike RPG called Inkbound. Has an isometric perspective, and it's a co-op, entirely co-op game. Well, I don't know if it's entirely co-op, but designed not to be played not. in co-op. Uh, and we got a new trailer introducing the game. It is coming out uh, next year for PC. No, no details on consoles yet. Uh, we were talking about this game just very briefly before uh, before recording this podcast. And Josh, it sounded like you were actually you were like pretty excited once you saw this announcement trailer. Uh, have you played Monster Train? I the, I, I like Slay the Spire. I didn't really like get into Monster Train as much as like say say a Slay oh. the Spire. But I, I I like that genre of like you know like uh, rogue like deck building. Um, and Monster Train was was the cooler one. Like yeah, you know, uh, one of the cool ones. Though it didn't really hit for me as much as Slay the Spire. But this is a very very, very talented team as Monster Train being uh being their first game. Um, and you know, looking at the trailer and what they say about the combat uh, about this game, it's like aiming for like a hybrid real time turn based combat. So you see, like you know, a little bit of like the, in the footage there, like it's like it's not quite action RPG, and you're still kind of you know taking your turn uh, in the like even though you're like in this perspective, and like seeing how that'll 
like, you know, synergize with like a co-op uh, environment. And also like they, they also taught like, you know, you can make all sorts of character builds based on like, um, like traits that you uh, get uh, throughout your run uh, in this game. So uh, obviously it's like, it's still like, you know, very much early in development and not like they haven't like broken down all the details yet, but what they've shown of it is uh, is like up my alley. Like I really want to uh, play this with friends and uh and check it out you know i mean uh this just caught my eye and be like oh yeah you know you know me i, I like my my uh, weird indie rpgs that like try something like really out there and i do think like i'm not a huge fan of roguelikes or roguelites but i do think making a co-op would be a way to get me to like it'd be kind of a way to just kind of ease into it just like all right someone else is along for the ride too so mm-hmm. I, I think that'd be a really like a, co- a cool way to just get introduced to to that style of game well, outside of those game announcements, we have a few just kind of like date updates here, a few uh, a few release dates, um, and a couple some information alongside those. I guess I guess technically the the Final Fantasy 16 announcement was a release window date, and then so was the Pokemon announcement was a release date announcement. We got what a about release that date. Random game. Sorry, I was like, what about that random game from Studio Psy that uh, that Elent Knights or whatever it was called? Internites was it? it Inter- yeah, Turnites. Yeah, that was shot at the PlayStation State of Play. We technically didn't cover it because they said it was an RPG. But uh, the you know when the, after that trailer was shown off, it was like a, a like a, an action game with dating sim elements and like and the the developers behind it were were, were very um, enthusiastic, obviously, about their project because like the 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 project was um, inspired by them playing through Persona Five. And then they played through other Persona games. They're like, we're gonna freaking make our own uh, Persona S game, and it was like a direct, like you know, uh, obviously the the elements of the trailer like definitely was inspired by Persona, and they confirmed like, yes, t- we definitely made this game because we just love Persona so much. And you know what? Uh, more power to them. Go for mm-hmm. it. You know. So well, I was just gonna say, it's like that's one of the things we didn't cover. So I mean, <laughs> it, they, they, it's it's an action game. It's not an RPG. So hey, well, Final well, Fantasy Sixteen is an action game. <laughs> I mean, that it has, has that, that, that has, has you're leveling up. There's damage numbers, and it's fucking Final Fantasy. It's an action RPG. Yeah, even yeah. even if they made a Final Fantasy game that clearly was not an RPG at all, I mean, they, I'm sure they have of course the very spinoffs. Like we would cover it because Alex would make us. Also, we <laughs> Alex would make us. <laughs> <laughs> you're like adding. It's like Alex would make us, and I guess we would want to as well. <laughs> but you know, I mean, if if you want to check it out for us, Chow, if you're really enthusiastic for Eternal Nights, then you know you know who to ask, not me. What I was going to say was that we got a release date for uh, a game that we got a bunch of details on a couple months ago. This is Made in Abyss: Binary Star Falling into Darkness. This game was announced about a year ago or so, and we first got our first real uh, like set of details back in April. Uh, we learned about how it had two game modes. We learned. Uh, some of the consoles that it was releasing on today, we learned that the release this week, we learned that the release date for this game will be September 2nd worldwide. Alongside the release date announcement, we got some information about the characters in the game's two game modes. Again, this is the uh, Hello Abyss game mode, which recreates like the the original story, and then the Deep in Abyss, which is the game original storyline uh, that's unique to this project. Uh, we got a couple of the voice actors and actresses for the characters, uh, both in English and Japanese, alongside uh, a little bit of a bio for each. Um, I think all the artwork uh, is old. I'm not certain. Some of it might be new for some of the minor characters. But we got we have uh, that up on the uh, on the site as well, alongside the release date. So I wish, I wish we had more like uh, like uh, like uh, press releases like this, where they could they're, they're allowed to like sh- uh, share the English voice actor and actresses on them instead of like kind of this like uh, 
don't know if it's a stipulation or policy depending on like how uh their contracts are but like for a lot of like games like the english uh cast can only like say that they're in the game once like either the project has been announced or like, that like when the game comes out and then they can say it like for example soul hackers 2 is going to have english voices and we have not heard them and we know nothing about them yeah so, so you know hopefully i don't know what it is in in the in that side of the industry that like doesn't allow them obviously it's something to do with the contracts and the way it's how how their process is standardized but i i, I wish we had like more stuff like this where you could just like share all the voice talent in the game, and that and that and that would should be true, like for like, not just sure. English and Japanese, but should just be like if it's being dubbed in a certain language, uh, you should be able to share the names of those people, <laughs> you know. I know Square Enix has gotten better at this. Like for example, I know um, Stranger of Paradise. We they announced basically Japanese and English voices at the same time. Same thing with like Diofield Chronicles. Like we already know the, who the voices are. Like I don't even know who the characters are. But if you want to look up the voices, you can find them. Oh, I didn't know they uh, they have the uh, voices for the English voices for them already. That's cool. Yeah, they do. <laughs> yeah. I will say, um, especially looking at this uh, cover art, um, I really, really hope parents pay close attention to the ESRB rating for this game. I really, really hope they pay close. I attention. highly doubt it. I mean, I've seen parents buy their kids Call of Duty all the time. It's like, <laughs> it's, they don't but, care. But especially if somebody like sees this game at a, let's say like GameStop, and maybe they don't know anything about like the uh, ESRB rating, they see the character designs, and it's like, oh, oh man. man, adorable. And it's like they get it for their for, mm-hmm. for their son or their daughter, <laughs> and it's like. Yeah, no, um, lovely game, <laughs> lovely content. Be, there, there's gonna, I, I, I'm gonna make a prediction, probably the easiest read ever. There's gonna be at least one kid that gets traumatized because their parents buy them this game without knowing any better. Just buy your little niece, uh, Magica, Medica, you know, just like I, that. I, right? bet, I bet you the, this game only gets like, like, well known if like people, like, enough, like, if like some big people like do like a reaction video of like something that happens in the game. Yeah, it's like I f- I feel bad for Spike Chunsoft like preemptively because it's like it's gonna happen. We we know it's gonna happen. <laughs> well, you know, the, that's the risk you take with me to this, Mickey again. Back to the nineties again. Nobody's gonna pay the the ratings for it, and they're gonna sue the government for it. That's right. Kind of coincidentally, they just released a trailer for the second season coming out. Yeah, it's coming up soon, like next season. So that'll be fun. I'm I'm excited to watch it. Very wholesome. Non-violent, uh, go- only good feelings. Uh, well, I mean, I mean, Josh, it, it's it's available on Disney Plus in Japan. It, it if it has the Disney seal of approval, obviously, it's perfectly fine for. Japan. Yes, of course, yes. All, all the, the, as we all know, Disney Plus only anime, uh, only the most wholesome and pure, and not crazy at all. Uh, and for for background, there's like a new Black Rock shooter this season uh, that is on only on Disney Plus in Japan. And it is uh, incredibly not good for kids, or rather any age group. But there, are, there's some very questionable and violent and um, not good stuff in it, I've heard. Here's another sort of release date. Uh, we learned about the Sega Mega Drive Mini 2 will release on October 27th in Japan alongside a full list of games that have been revealed on the live stream announcing this date uh, for the Mega Drive 2, Mini 2, 
And the highlights here that I can see are basically like Shining Force CD, Shining in the Darkness, Sonic the Hedgehog CD, a few other games on here that I'm not as familiar with, and no no other announcement here uh, for any sort of Western release for this uh, for this mini console. But uh, it also has a Sega CD RPG made by Falcom called Popful Mail. I don't know anything I about own, this, but I just I own oh, that you. game though. I own the working oh. design version. They go for is like a thousand dollars on eBay nowadays. Yeah, it's it's so very very unfortunate that this is going to be the working designs version from my yeah. understand. Didn't they make that one like way harder? That's what they always did. Like, and uh, I, I know uh, working designs. Oddly enough, back in the day, they would actually like change game balance and things. They like changed that. the they game part. Like, Alundra, like I, I listened to another podcast, and somebody just went through the working designs version of Alundra, where it's like enemies take twice as much damage, and they no, deal, and you no, and no. and you deal uh, like half damage or something. No, no, no. Uh, how it goes is that it, in the Japanese version, um, you have twice as much health, and the enemies uh, hurt less. But they also have twice the life bar, so the battles kind of drag on. Yeah, yeah. That that's such that's the working design version that I thought I thought it was the original version. But um, you know what on earth happened to Vic Ireland? Because he's not dead. Like somebody on Reset Era just outright said that no, he's still alive. And it's like, but what happened to guys retired? Yeah, like what happened? He reached retirement age. Yeah, without telling anyone, just uh, fucking disappeared it's a it's a shame that these uh don't get like a domestic release though because it's very hard like on the uh, supply chain and getting the chips uh already so that's why like making an international release of these sega mini uh consoles uh, is like it's difficult um but you know the the, well, the game like didn't, didn't the genesis uh, mini actually get a did it i thought i thought yeah, it, it did it oh, okay yeah, no, it oh. did because I, I, I mean, well, was I it the, was it the same? Was it the same time or later? Yeah, it was the same time. Yeah, oh, I mean, okay. like I, I remember because like uh, Zach was uh, definitely making a big deal about it, which I mean makes sense. It's his job, but yeah. <laughs> okay, then. Well, we'll see if this uh, re- releases um, in over in the West. I, I had no idea that the first one did. Yeah. But the, these uh these have the uh, both the Japanese and American versions for some of them, like Sonic CD. Um, was it? I want to say the original um, Genesis Mini also lets you like switch to the other versions. So, okay. I was just gonna say like uh, the Sonic CD. There is a good reason to play different regions because they had like a different composer for for each version, so yeah, you could play with different music if you preferred. Just because they just got to like some license disputes, so they weren't sure to use the same composer or something like that, and. Is composed new tracks for the American version. That's cool. Sure, October twenty seventh in Japan. But obviously, if you're in like the homebrew scene, you can use the old mini to play Sega CD games. So there I don't know. Go. I don't know what this has to offer. Like completely mm. new for like a market. It's like is it even like a more beefier hardware? It's, it's, it's for it's for the people who want like you know like they they want the aesthetic uh, of like owning them, just like not taking up as much space. Like it's and it's also for the crowd that like they don't really want to like go to like the the extreme hardcore end like with going with a Mister, like they want something that's that's very <laughs> plug and play. 
You know, though I, I also feel like this mini missed out on two gems of a game. They missed out the two Lunar games on, on yeah. a Sega CD, and I feel like that's like the trademark Sega CD game. I, I don't think they've announced all the games yet, have they? Or is it just is it just like the initial lineup, and then they're gonna announce more, or is this like the actual full lineup? Because it says this will this will have over fifty games, and then they only uh, showed off 11, the first eleven. But so. I, I don't know, the wordings are kind of confusing because this has 50 games, but that also could include the old regular Sega library, right? So, Okay, so the only games that they have listed so far on the uh, Japanese website, and apparently they haven't actually technically announced this for the West yet, there's uh, Selfied, which is a CD game, uh, Shining Force a CD, well, obviously Sonic CD, game is this mansion of hidden souls uh yeah i think that's it um pop full mail, mail virtual racing virtual racing bonanza, bonanza brothers, brothers. Uh, and then brian mentioned shining in the darkness and yeah thunder force 4 hell yeah yep. uh, magical Taruruto and fantasy zone those are the first 11 and then they said this will contain over 50 games so I assume they haven't. Uh, uh, I've, Matt I've tells really, me that that's. Uh, I've heard really good things about Magical. Uh, uh, I've, I've heard of it. I've never actually played it. I do think it's perfectly in character that Chow's like, yeah, I have that game uh, for Popful Mail. So you, you can get the uh, you can import the Mega Drive Two Mini or Mini Two. Is it Two Mini or Mini Two? Two Mini. Mega Drive mini Two. Mega Drive Mini Two. And compare uh, what their whatever emulation so, uh, solution they have on the uh, Mega Drive Mini, and compare it to compare it to the real deal. Two Mega Two Drive. I was just gonna say, like, there's only like one version of Papa Mill I don't have is the Super Nintendo version. You have to wait uh, for the Super Cam- Famicom Mini Two. <laughs> I have a different lineup. I highly mm-hmm. doubt it because it's probably the. Uh, the least favorite version out of the out of free. I mean, there's also a PC engine version as well. So, the final bit of news here is more just of a, a tease for future uh, information, and that is regarding Star Ocean: The Divine Force. Uh, we were expecting originally to get some news in the spring of this year, but the Japanese Twitter account, uh, speaking of those uh, series specific Twitter accounts uh, for Square Enix, uh, announced in the week that they are realizing that they're behind what they originally said, but that we should expect new information about Star Ocean the Defined Force later this month. So probably a formal release date. We are we already know that, or at least currently announced that it's releasing this year. We just don't know when. So yeah, we don't know when uh, later in June we'll see that. So stay tuned for more news on that. And that's all I have listed for this podcast. So quite a lot to talk about as we finally arrived in June. As we've kind of touched on uh, throughout different parts of this podcast, we have the Microsoft event, we've got the Summer Festival, no E3, no EA Play, but... Uh, other opportunities you obviously have the state of play who knows if you might see a nintendo direct that normally takes place uh around their summer time frame time frame for that information so uh kind of ramping back up into uh filling out our calendars for new uh july august september releases for the year we have the two features up on the site that we discussed early at the uh earlier in the podcast for the ex2 review and the monster hunter rise sunbreak impressions we have a lot of different uh, news articles about the Final Fantasy 16 information. Uh, you can always uh, search by game and just see everything uh, on the site, feature-wise, news-wise, about uh, anything that comes out of the state of play and our impressions on it for that game. 
And of I course, before the- before before we wrap up, like we should probably just do one more, like a uh, like a uh, st- June in advance like type of deal because there's a lot of like upcoming events and streams in June. There's going to be no E3 this year, but in, in its place, there's like a whole shitload of like like events incoming. So we already had like the Warhammer stuff. The state of play happened. We had the second new project was the uh, the mini drive, or. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, the upcoming, we have, like, the Acquire Game Show, which is tomorrow, actually, as of the time of this recording, uh, early in the morning for that one. Um, limited Run Games will be June 6th. Um, Summer Game Fest, which is kind of the next big one, is next Thursday on June 9th. The Guerrilla Collective Showcase, I'm not exactly sure what these are, Adam. Is it just, like, a like an indie showcase? Guerrilla Collective is just indies. It's okay. just, like... Yeah, it's not necessarily Gorilla Collective is not really like a publisher. They're just like literally like a platform. Like they just hey indies, just submit your pitches or your videos or whatever your announcements to us, and we'll put them in a stream. It's basically what it is. Mm-hmm. So hey, but sometimes some cool stuff. Is yeah, those yeah, yeah. yeah June eleventh because it seems to have a lot. Like you know, right after the Gorilla Collective, you have the Wholesome Direct, uh, which is like you know for kind of like uh, a games of a certain tone, like a wholesome tone. They like what highlight there. I don't think I have IGN in this list. See. Oh yeah, I don't. Uh, they, they announced a date, I think, for that, but I'm not exactly sure. Um, after the wholesome direct on June 11th, show there's there's like three streams back. To IGN back. Expo is on June 10th. So June it's like 10th. also just mixed in there. Okay. So okay, well, uh, write that down there. Um, and then the following day on uh, June 12th, uh, the next big one there is the Xbox and Bethesda showcase. So it's going to be very, a very busy week uh, up ahead, and the PC Gamer Show after that, and then and then it, we get a little like lull for a while uh, uh, with the in, an Indie Games Connect uh, at the end of the month on June twenty fifth. Uh, there, so that's kind of the the uh, most of the stuff are ha- is happening this upcoming week, and especially Sweet. this upcoming weekend. So we might be able to get a little bit on the on the front end for next week's podcast, but it sounds like most of it will be two weeks from now. Yeah, I, I think I think like like during the runtime of like the this podcast recording, something is probably going on. Like you know, like it's not it's not the Xbox thing, but it's like the the back to back streams, of, you know, the the indie stuff. We'll be able so. to say breaking news, and then it's not yeah. really breaking. Yeah, news yeah if there's anything our, there because our podcast like, is recorded. Yeah, exactly. There you go. But yeah, you know, uh, even though there's no E3, you know, that hasn't stopped people from, you know, trying to get their news out around this time frame. So hopefully some cool stuff is happening in the world of RPGs, you know, as if we already didn't get enough with FF16 this past week. As always, you can find RPG site on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to search for RPG site. Uh, you can join our Discord at discord.gg slash RPG site or click the link at the top of the homepage or just go to rpgsite.net and just uh, look through all the news articles and features that we have up on the site because it's been a busy week and it sounds like it's going to stay that way for a while. So thanks to Josh, Adam, Kite, and all the others that kind of keep up on top of all of that because it's always a lot every day to keep that maintained, especially when all all the release dates come out and we make sure we get all those uh, recorded and locked down. I use Adam's release date listing all the time as I look forward to what's coming out in each month uh and obviously we do post those on twitter as well at the start of each month but until you hear from us next week with the first news that we get out of some of these earlier streams for these summer gaming events uh take care stay safe and we'll talk to you next time